0: Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the door of America?
1: Audio with your host, Tim Banal. No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to another edition of VOA Audio Season 9, our third episode here in, in a week. It's uh, unbelievable. Uh, I'm really <laughs> burning the candle at both ends here, and... uh and uh, it's it's going to be a good night, though, I think, because uh, we're going a whole different direction than we have the previous two episodes, and really, in a lot of ways, uh, from most of what we do on the program here. We very rarely get into the ghost realm. We've done it a few times, and I did say uh, a few weeks back that I want to do some sort of uh, more ghosty-type episodes here for the uh, month of October. Might as well play into the cliché as much as you can, so I figured uh, now is the time to do it. And as luck would have it, I heard from our guest... Way back over the summer, he's a VOA Audio listener, and he uh, wrote this book, and he was talking about it. And I was like, uh, well, it was coming out right about now, and I was like, let's save it for when, for when we can do it all in one big shot. When the book's out and folks can pick it up, and uh, it's perfectly timed for Halloween season. And the book is Ohio's Historic Haunts, Investigating the Paranormal in the Buckeye State. And the author is James A. Willis, and he's here on the program tonight to tell us about the book and talk about sort of, uh, you know, the field of ghost hunting and, and, uh, the practice of ghost hunting, let's say. And as many of the listeners know, and as I was telling James before we went on the air, I went on a ghost hunt this summer. So I have uh, a small frame of reference for, uh, for the practice of ghost hunting. So I, uh, and I'll have a lot of questions I think about that because I, aside from the folks I went on the ghost hunt with, I haven't had anyone to talk to about it since, uh, as far as ghost hunt people go. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. James, welcome to BOA Audio. Thank you for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having me. The pleasure is all mine. How you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you about Ohio's historic haunts. Thank you so much for reaching out, uh, I really, I've really, i enjoyed the book. I, as I was saying to him, I didn't get it until a few days ago, so I haven't really dug truly into the meat of it yet, but uh, we're going to get into the meat of it all tonight, which is that's the exciting part, or the lucky part of having your own show, so <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, let's start out, James, as you may know, with the bio, the background. Tell folks who James A. Willis is. Tell us about how uh you don't don't get into the process necessarily of ohio's historic haunts because i think you and i can both agree that there's there's more to that process it needs to be a little more explored you know how, yeah, how yeah. the book all got put together <laughs> so you know tell me who james a willis is and how you gravitated toward you know all this the madness that is to the paranormal
2: wow um yeah i don't know who james a willis is to be honest with you it's it's, it's been a long and twisted ride um I've kind of been obsessed with um, ghosts and all things paranormal since a very, very early age um, that I think I would have to blame it on the fact that my parents allowed me to grow up in the uh, Hudson Valley of upstate New York, which is an area rich of just folk tales and, of course, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And when I was a very small child, I had people try to convince me that the legend of Sleepy Hollow was true. And what they would do is they would take me to... Terrytown, which was the setting for Sleepy Hollow, yeah, and they would show me the cemetery, and they would show me like the Van Tassels' graves, the characters from the the story, and tell me that the headless horseman was real. Well, after I <laughs> basically came, you know, came to the realization that they were BSing me, um, it led me at a very early age to question, okay, well, that story is BS, but what are the true ghost stories? Right, and that started, you know, started me down that path. And back, you know, I was like eight years old, so I was a little twisted freak from the very beginning. I think. <laughs> um, long story short, um, I moved to Ohio in 1999, and I had been involved with ghost groups from the the mid 80s, believe it or not. Wow. And um, when I moved to Ohio in '99, I was going to just try to find another group if you will and this obviously predates all of the ghost reality shows if you will hmm. so I couldn't find any other groups out there that sort of fit my um I guess hopeful skepticism when it came to ghosts
0: there you go and yeah. so
2: I just decided you know I guess I was arrogant and naive enough to think well I'll just start my own group and I started the uh, the group the ghosts of Ohio and we've been Running strong ever since uh, to the point where we've got three different divisions, um Columbus, Cincinnati, and Cleveland oh, wow. across the state that do um, mainly private investigations of people's homes. Um, and then along those lines, as I was out doing that, um, we affectionately call them the two Marks, but Mark Moran and Mark Skirman, who run um a newsletter and a book, Weird New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, put out the book Weird New Jersey and said, wow, you know, there's 49 other weird states out there. So they came looking for weird writers to kind of get involved with um, writing weird stuff about their state. And when they were typing weird and Ohio into a search engine, they were getting me through um, the ghost group. And so that started me down a path of writing about sort of weird, not only ghosts, but roadside oddities and monsters and UFO sightings for um, Weird Ohio and several other books. And yeah the weird thing just started rolling from there, so yeah, and all through all that, I still don't know who I am, so but that's the fun part <laughs>
1: <laughs> well what one thing you said just now, well, a lot of things piqued my interest, but one thing in particular really piqued my interest uh now, you said you were involved sort of with ghost hunting in the eighties, yes. I can't even like just just because you know I'm sort of peripherally in the UFO field. I guess if someone was gonna mm-hmm. put me right. in one camp, I guess that would be it. Yeah, that's my you know I don't even know I don't let's not go any further than that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's my cross to bear. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: so uh, and I know how crazy and different it was in the 80s for for the UFO field, yeah. and I can't even imagine what it must have been like ghost hunting in the 80s. I mean the, just the just just the sheer the technology is a gulf there, you know. There can't couldn't have been that much technology going on, and 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 clearly there was not much in the way. And you know, for better or for worse, they say all oh, these people watch the reality shows. They act like the people they see on the reality shows. Right. I guess what I'm trying to say is there were no good or bad role models. You know what I'm saying? There was no template on what a ghost hunt is. So I guess tell me a little bit about that 80s ghost hunt. We're going we're going down a whole different direction. I didn't even expect to go into already, <laughs> but I love it. So tell me tell me about what it was like in the 80s doing this stuff.
2: Well the interesting thing is that um as I said I was like 8 or 9 years old and I was claiming, you know, to be going on investigations back then. Mm. Um so there there were um I guess you know, my role models, so there were people actually that were doing ghost research even back in the the late 70s. You had like Hans Holzer and there was like Harry Price. The weird thing is that the equipment, if you will, that they were using, um, like Hans Holzer, he basically just said that you needed a, a medium, you know, like a deep trance medium. And that right. that was the only equipment, if you will, is that they basically had a medium that was actually looking for the ghost. You just kind of sat back, <laughs> waited, you know, and, and we didn't have anything like that in our group. So we kind of went the um, Harry Price route. And. Some of the things that we were using back then are, are quite comical, but you would, you know, you would do things like you would sprinkle like baby powder if they were talking about that they were, you know, that people were seeing a ghost walking across the floor, hearing footsteps going up I, yeah, the stairs. Yeah. You'd literally put baby powder on the floor. Um, You know, we used to, um it's really archaic and I feel really old for saying this, but the, you know, we were trying to get record ghost voices you know um evp wasn't really something that was thrown around back then but we were trying to capture ghost voices or or, you know or disembodied sort of sounds or noises but we were doing it on you know (laughs) some of your listeners going to be what the hell is that but like on reel to reels oh wow (laughs) you know and then even going to i
1: was thinking gonna say cassette tape there so no yeah we
2: we, it was even before then i mean my I, I'm a bit of a pack rat, so I've kept all that equipment over the years and uh my basement is filled with these artifacts of like old reel to reels. Um yeah, obviously we did use um full size cassette recorders. Um we were shooting on Polaroids, we were shooting thirty five millimeters, so the stuff was there, but oddly enough what got me into the equipment sort of thing, believe it or not, was actually Ghostbusters.
0: Oh and, wow, yeah.
2: Um I love the movie, obviously, but I was reading a review of the movie. You know, I don't remember the magazine or the newspaper it was in, but there was just a little passing blurb that said that some of the equipment that the ghost hunters were using in the movie was based off of actual equipment that parapsychologists were starting to use. And at that point, I was like, "Oh, okay, so you get to use all that like cool crap and run around with that." Yeah. Um, and that's what started me seeking out sort of that more technical equipment, Um, and that's why I think even today when I kind of look at the equipment, I'm a bit skeptical because I'm coming from the old school thing is, why the hell am I using this? You know, you see a lot of equipment that they're using even today, and you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why the hell are they using that for that? Yeah. Um, But yeah, so it it was very – I hate to hesitate and say that it was archaic, but it was. It wasn't really even – Um, we didn't even really call it ghost hunting. It was just looking for ghosts. So it wasn't, yeah, it it (laughs) was. It sounds quaint.
1: You don't have to say
0: arcade. It's quaint. (laughs) So
2: it's just kind of funny that you're like, you know, a lot of these kind of catchphrases and things that we have today, you know, we would just get together and we're like, oh, let's go look for ghosts. You know, that was it. I mean, the same thing you said, UFOs. I mean, growing up in the Hudson Valley, there was like massive sightings. like in the 80s into like the 90s, uh, yeah. the Hudson Valley UFO things. And, you know, we would go look for that. But it was like, I don't know, let's go look for a UFO. So it was a bit more casual, you know. You didn't even like have it. black T-shirts back then. You know, <laughs> you just
1: wore whatever you had.
2: <laughs>
1: I presume then you didn't have a logo either.
2: No, we had no logo. We didn't even have a cool acronym. You know, We oh, it was geez. just – it was a bunch of us. And the funny thing is that people just would – Times have changed, but way back then, if you told people what you did, they were like, "What? That's weird." But you know, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. You know, now yeah. it's like, "Oh yeah, you do that?" Well, I got a cousin and an uncle and three stepsisters, and they all do that too. You right. Know? So, right.
1: Yeah. It's like it yeah.
2: shines off the apple. I think.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, you play racquetball too? It's like that. Kind yeah. of thing. No. <laughs> um Did you ever get anything on the on the sound recordings? We did. Oh wow.
2: Yeah, and and. Here's what's interesting, and it, what I'm going to say is actually probably I'm convinced is one of the main reasons I don't get invited to a lot of these paranormal conventions, um, because I openly admit I don't know what a ghost is. Right. And and I, I think I think in the field here, I think we need to start admitting that, because I think
0: yes, we, get bravo, bravo, we get ourselves
2: gosh. in trouble, um, you know, again, going way back when, how – Good or how professional you were in this community or in the organization was. It was based on how you treated people and how you, you know, dealt with them. Today, unfortunately, I think too many of these groups think how good you are is reflective of how much evidence you get. Mm. And so you've got people that are just spitting out these bizarre claims about what a ghost is and what it can do. And I willingly admit. I don't know how half this stuff works. Case in point to, to go back to your question is we used to get voices on you know on cassette recorders and we used to get a couple on reel to reels, which was really trippy, but back then the idea was that the ghost could um that ghosts could since they were forms of energy could sort of manipulate the electromagnetic field. And they still believe that today because they're still messing around with EMF meters and things like that. But the idea that the ghost was able to get its voice, if you will, on to tape is because back then we used magnetic tape heads, which was the magnets in that were technically part of the electromagnetic Mm. field. Again, that's really trippy, but at least that was something that was pseudoscience, I guess you could say. Today, I have no idea how the hell you pick up voices on something where there are no tape heads. Right. But but again, yeah, we would get voices. They were not – I wouldn't say they were not as prevalent, but there were less um, artifacts that you'd pick up. I mean today with the digital recorders and – um, just working wireless with a lot of the things. I mean, everything is wireless. So you're sucking all sorts of signals from everywhere. So we would not get as many false positives
0: mm. back in the day,
2: which, you know, today you and I were talking earlier about having to sit through and, you know, you go for an eight or 10 hour investigation. You've got eight or 10 hours worth of audio on four different machines. You know, that's 40 hours of audio you've oh got to listen God. to. Yeah. It 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 sucks. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I was, I was telling James, folks, before the uh, before the show about my ghost hunt experience this summer, and was just, I taped like forty five minutes of stuff, and I was by the time I finished it, I, my I was just like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> so, it's very tedious work.
2: Yeah, it's I and mean, we we kind of joke and say that you know within my group, the ghosts of Ohio, that we need to come up with like a theme song because on all these shows you know if they do show when they do the evidence review yeah. they play like some snappy little ditty and they're done in like 30 seconds you know and really it's just it is painstaking and you start to think you're losing your mind especially when it comes to the video because like I said if you're watching video from a 10 hour investigation what we do on these investigations to kind of minimize the false positives we could get is all the video cameras are set on tripods and they're locked down so they don't move. But basically when you're looking at 10 hours of that, you're looking at 10 hours of an image that never moves.
0: Right, static. And I
2: mean picture. that you just go cross-eyed. You start waiting for something to jump out. You know, just so you, <laughs> you know, give me a dust particle. Just give me something I can look at aside from, you know, staring at this non-moving table.
1: <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, the visual, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean it yeah. I mean we normally what we do is we'll probably, you know, I personally, I look at it in 30-minute clips because after a while you start to you know the pixels start messing with you and it it's just crazy so yeah i'll look at like 30 minutes and then have to like walk away and then come back and do another 30
1: yeah yeah that makes sense um okay now let's talk about the book ohio's historic haunts yes. uh you really took a unique sort of approach to this which i really liked a lot and uh you know we need more folks like this uh taking unique approaches to things so tell us about Thank you. Sort of how you put this all together, where the idea came from and, 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 you know, give folks a thumbnail sort of on, on Ohio's historic haunts and, and sort of the, the premise behind it,
0: let's say. Sure.
2: Yeah. I, I have always, um, as I said, I'm, I'm a bit of a hopeful skeptic when it comes to ghosts and that I've had encounters, but I, I also know that there's a lot of just, you know, made up stuff out there, mm-hmm. but I've always believed that ghost stories are history. And that even if you can't validate the haunting or the ghost, if you will, that the ghost story will work to keep actual history alive. So for me, if, you know, somebody tells you a story, you know, I always say, well, you see that house over there? You know, old man Willis built that in 42. And, you know, he was six foot four with red hair and he used to wear a big hat and smoke a pipe. And he died in 2001. And now they see his ghost smoking his pipe with his big hat on. For me, I always thought that was cool because even if you couldn't validate that that building was haunted, people who heard that story would walk away with history. They now knew who built the building, what the man looked like, all that stuff. And so, um, I was actually approached by um, Kent State University, and they said we'd we're thinking about doing a ghost book. But universities, you know, they don't. We've never done one. We don't even know of another university that's backed a ghost book if you seem to be something of someone who knows what they're talking about with ghosts in Ohio, what would you want to do? And so I pitched that premise to him, and I said, I would love to focus on 20 or so historically significant buildings in the state of Ohio that are rumored to be haunted. And I said, for the book, I'd like to give each one of those a chapter and then divide each chapter up into thirds, with the first third of each chapter being just straight history. Who built it? who lived there, you know, what the building was used for. The second third, I said, I want to get one-on-one interviews. And I think I ended up with like 220 hours worth of one-on-one interviews. But I said, I don't want to look for the ghost stories on the internet or in other books. I want to sit down with owners, employees, managers, those sort of things, and interview them if they believe that they've had a ghost encounter. And I wanted to do it one-on-one, Across the table so that I could tell the readers, I looked across the table at these people and looked them in the eye, and I didn't call BS on them. Right. Because regardless of whether or not they really did see a ghost, I can tell you honestly, everybody that's in the book, in their heart, believe they did see a ghost exactly. or have a ghostly encounter. And then the last third of each chapter was I got locked in the building overnight with all this fancy ghost hunting equipment too. See if I could have an encounter, you know, to see if where that line is between, you know, reality and then folklore, if you will.
1: Mm. And let me let me give you props here. I want to I want to note this for folks. This is this is a huge book, folks. It's 300. I'm looking at it here. Three hundred fifty eight pages. And in the conclusions part, James, uh, he goes over some remarkable numbers uh, that that bear mentioning here on the show. Five thousand miles driven uh, in his car. (laughs) Over 3,000 digital photographs taken, over 750 hours of video recorded during the vigils – these are the overnight stays – 639 hours of audio recorded during the vigils, 211 hours of recorded interviews, 126 hours of Vernier Lab Pro data to analyze. i got to ask you about that. Uh, And 14 pounds of handwritten notes and photocopies.
0: That's (laughs) –
1: I mean, this is clearly, this is like a labor of love and also, you know, a serious undertaking. So kudos to you, man. You must have clearly you invested a lot of time and energy into this book. So
2: Thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, it's um, I tell people it was the book that I, I always felt that I was meant to write. But that book that you're holding there was like two and a half years worth of active research and putting it together. And so it was uh it was a labor of love. And and at some point, you know, there were various times when I'm like, there is no way that this is going to make it to print because it just seemed to be, I mean, I'll be honest with you, when I first started it, um, I was excited about it. And then like halfway through, I kept thinking, this approach is going against the vast majority of what is currently in this, you know, ghost research space. You know, have I kind of, bitten off more than I can chew. And I, I, you know, and I, and the book only came out like it's September 30th. So it's still a bit too early to tell, but the initial feedback is that people are getting it, you know, they're not, they're not going, well, wait, these stories aren't really scary. I mean, a few are actually scary, but they're, they're looking at it from the idea that this is serious research, mm. but yeah. And, and to mention real quick, the, uh, the veneer lab pro is a system that um, it's a I think, I don't know of any other group that's actually using it, but um, Vernier Lab Pro actually designs um, remote sensors that can be used for science experiments. So you can, you know, take the temperature of things and see how the temperature changes. You can do magnetic fields, all all sorts of things that um, all the way down to Geiger counters, those sort of things. Yeah. But I found that it was very interesting to use them. And I did throughout the book and we we also use them for um, our private investigations. That you could hook up, say, five or six, um, temperature gauge, ambient temperature gauges, and sort of run them up a staircase or down a staircase where people report, say, seeing a ghost. And then what it allows us to do is we feed that through a data logger as well as onto a screen, and it takes readings every half a second. So you can literally sit back and track cold spots. You can track, you know, electromagnetic pulses and those sort of things all from kind of, remotely. So right. yeah, it was but again, those were the kind of things that we still had to go back, you know, and right. and watch all the things bob around to see if there was anything odd happening.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was amused, I guess, let's put it that way, but by the the vast amount of equipment, you list the the various equipment. Now, did you use all this? You couldn't possibly have used all this on everything. So, I guess just Give give people sort of an overview, because uh, for folks who don't know much about ghost hunting, like me, I was really blown away by how much different all this stuff is. You know what I mean? How much how much stuff there is, and how much how many different things sort of things do. You sure. Know, as articulate as that just came off, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. uh it's pretty remarkable. Everything sort of has its own little little role in the whole thing. So I guess talk about the the role of the equipment, and and I guess also because you're like me you're I, i'm skeptical about most things uh, mm-hmm. I, i'm a lot like you i'm an optimistic skeptic right. um so if i were you know what, what what's your ideal sort of uh pieces of equipment you know amongst this this vast list So you said one in particular or two that you think that are you know, if you think you'd only use like two or three pieces, what would be the ideal thing? So let's – I guess, you know, after all that talking from me, let's get into the <laughs> – let's get into equipment and and, uh, and bring folks up to speed, I guess, on that aspect of, of ghost hunting.
2: Yeah, what I try to do for the book is, for me personally, the, the different types of equipment that I use, my – kind of where I come at it from the idea of what the heck is a ghost is the idea that – You know, if you, no one will disagree with you if you bring up the idea that, you know, we as human beings are forms of energy. You know, you can take our temperature, we give off readings, those sort of things. So nobody debates that. Also, nobody debates the fact that you can't destroy energy. You can change its form, but you can't ever destroy it. So everyone will accept that. That's what led me to believe at a, you know, or to ask at a very early age, well, where does my energy go when I die? Mm. You know, does it? Does it still hang around and it's got a, you know, a ghostly voice box and it can talk and that kind of things, or does it just get sucked up into the ether and become part of this collective stuff, you know, but that's what sent me down the path. So the equipment that I use, it's a wide range, but it all goes back to the idea is that it's trying to detect different forms of energy. Okay. So that's when I pick up on the different devices is I look at it. So I will use, um, temperature devices and one because temperature is a form of, you know you can you can take that and you can look at heat and those are different you know it's a form of energy mm. so i will use those and i um use different types because certainly other groups use it because they talk about the idea that there's cold spots and that means that there's a ghost present and the theory there is they say that the ghost as a form of energy is trying to draw up more energy out of the environment so it's pulling the heat out um, so for the book, I used a series of temperature gauges, including, um, ambient ones, which would take readings from a general area, as well as, um, which were my favorite, the sort of laser pointer ones, which are the, the spot ones that when you, you know, you kind of pull the trigger and it shoots a beam out and the first solid object it hits, it bounces back and it gives you the read- the, the temperature reading. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Those came in handy when I was looking for, um. Like haunted objects, if people tell us you know um I don't know this one book on the shelf always falls off or this glass moves across the table, I would use the the ones that actually are the spot temperature ones because again, in my mind that if a a ghost, whatever it represents, but it's got enough energy or force or mass or whatever you want to call it, to move that book, then in my mind, it should have enough energy, mass, or force that when it touches that book. It's going to change the temperature of it, right, you know that's just my theory, so you could literally from across the room shoot that you know laser if you will across onto that book and just leave it there and look to see if the temperatures actually dropped um so we used a lot of those, and then um, when it came to sort of the e m f detectors, um I used a wide range of those because again, in general, if the electromagnetic field is a real field of energy made of no electric or magnetic charge and we as humans can alter that field so in my mind i'm thinking okay well if a ghost is our energy maybe that ghost can alter it so i we used a wide range of those um some of the other ones i used for the book were specifically because as i started mm, suiting up i guess you could say and (laughs) saying which pieces i was going to take with me I kind of fell down a rabbit hole of all these reality show devices that these people were using. Oh, yeah. They sell all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Apps and, and stuff now, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thankfully, you know, I didn't get into any of the apps because I'm like, there is no way these things work to begin with. But I did bring um a ghost meter. Which, uh, you know, I, I tell people, uh, you know, if you want to save 10 bucks, just get the uh, the cell sensor meter
0: because <laughs> the, the
2: the ghost meter is just a cell sensor, but they put a, a sticker on it that says ghost meter. Um, you know, so <laughs> your listeners can save the 10 bucks, just get a cell sensor meter. Yeah. It's the same exact thing. You just don't have a sticker that says ghost meter. You know, I tell people, I, again, when it comes to the equipment, there is no device that can measure a ghost. Right. I wish there was. You know, make my job easier. But again, going back to what I get in trouble for admitting, it's that we don't know what a ghost is. If everybody knew what a ghost was, then guess what? Nobody would would doubt that they exist. Exactly. Nobody would
1: ghost something
0: either. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
2: But until we get to that point, you know, we have to admit that how can you make a device that allows you to
0: communicate
2: or do something with something we don't know exists? Mm. You know, because people are like, well, this device allows the ghost to talk to you. And I'm like, well, how the hell did you test that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know,
2: and I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying if you can't determine what you actually did to test that, to prove that it actually does that, then how do you expect me to accept the results as being ghostly? Mm. You know, so so we brought out a wide range of devices. Um, You know, I, I would I would have to say probably that the strangest one that. I ended. I mean, we took dowsing rods and all sorts of things, but right. the one device that we brought in that I was not expecting to quote unquote work was. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, a Frank's box.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm. Va- I, yeah, I think I'm vaguely familiar with it. It's 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 allegedly used for communication or something like that.
2: Yeah, the theory is that it's. Um, basically, it uses radio frequencies, and well, they'll tell you that it uses radio waves and. Um, white noise, and that the ghosts, depending who you talk to through various methods, that I guess they read Beetlejuice's book for the recently deceased, so they know all these tricks, but somehow <laughs> the ghost is is apparently able to manipulate the white noise and the radio frequencies and speak. The the truth of the matter is that the, the Franks box is nothing within, but an AM, FM radio that they have clipped the auto-tuner on. And basically, it scans through. They always tell you to put it on AM stations because the ghosts, I don't know, like it better. The like truth that. is, it continually scans, and what you're doing is you're picking up roughly about a second to maybe two seconds of the DJs talking. And the reason they you don't put it on the FM is because you get, you know, the joke, the ghostly stairway to heaven coming through. <laughs> you know. But on AM, you're just getting, for the most part, people talking. So you're going to hear things that are like, you know, and then all of a sudden... Oh, that's a ghost. He's saying those things. But right. that being said, I mean, long story, very short. We, um, one of the investigations that we did, um, was the Lima Literacy Council building in Lima, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And it's a gorgeous, gorgeous building with really cool history. And one of the reports, um, was, was that a man, uh, a ghost of a man would talk through the computer speakers. And it was really weird because, he would say full sentences. I think the one that freaked everybody out was when it said, come upstairs and see me. And, oh, jeez. And upstairs is just an attic. Ooh, um, that's creepy. And so when we came out to do the, um, you know, to get kind of locked in, I noticed that there was a lot of 18-wheeler truck traffic going by. Mm. And so in my mind, I thought, you know what? I bet those speakers are actually somehow picking up CB signals right. from the trucks. Yeah. So I had a Frank's box with me, and what I did was I put it up in that room with the intent not to get the voices to come through, because as I said, I'm I'm fairly confident those things don't work the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. But what I did is since it was an AM radio, I tuned it down to, I think it was like five eight. I tuned it down to static, and nothing but static, and there was no other stations, like even remotely around it. And I just cranked it and let it run, thinking that eventually during the course of the night, I'm going to start hearing... You know, CB's coming through or something and kind right, of, right. you know, debunk it, if you will. And that didn't happen, but roughly for like six hours straight, that thing was doing absolutely nothing. It was just, sh- it was just straight static. It was like annoying as hell.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, but towards the end of the night, I just happened to be in that room, um, with, um, Sean, who was with me and he was kind of helping out and we were kind of, doing an EVP se- uh, session, just asking questions, seeing if we could get a ghost to response or leave a voice. But we weren't talking to the Franks box. It just happened to be in that room, and it was just going staticky, staticky. And at one point, I say, um, you know, I, I don't know who you are or where you are, but I, I just need to know, are you the voice that comes through the speakers? And then the trippiest thing happened because – the best way that i can describe it is that the static turned off. Now it wasn't like it kind of dropped down like a quieter as if something you know another station was stepping on it if you will. It's like, it was like somebody it? turned the device completely off. Yeah, weird. Wow. And then i said, um, is that you? And the static came all the way back up again and i said, okay, that's kind of weird. Um, i don't need to mean to be rude, but If that's you, I'm not sure what you're trying to say here. Are you the voice that comes through the speakers? And the static went off again. It did that. I'd have to go back and look at the book. But over the course of like 15 or 20 minutes, it did that like five or six times, seemingly in response to yes or no questions. The really weird thing is we were never able to replicate that. You know, we played with it and, and we were just sitting next to it. So it's not like... You know, we were moving it around or something, and it lost the signal. But but the weird thing, like I said, it it didn't sound like the static was actually dropping. It sounded like the, the device was getting turned off. Hmm. Now, when, it, when when that happened, did you guys like go over to it and look
1: at it and stuff,
2: or were you like, well, what I did is you can see me like on the video is because it was sitting in front of. I was sitting at a desk, you know, right in front of because the computer speakers were there, and I, I turn on the flashlight and I'm like looking at it. Um. But no, I didn't actually get up because it was right in front of me at the time. Yeah, you didn't but, really need to go. Yeah. But I did start playing with the idea of like waving my hands or shifting in my chair to see if I'm like somehow blocking a signal. But no, it we couldn't replicate it. It was the weirdest thing. Weird. Yeah, that is
1: strange. Well, that's the kind of thing that those are the things that I consider like better ghost evidence. Not necessarily the the, the specific thing with the box going off, but like things that things that respond. You know what I mean? When you say, like, are you the thing? And then the lights go out or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, when things like that happen, it's really hard to, you know, unless, you know, the only other connection to all this, in a sense, is like, like you say, you don't know what ghosts are. I don't know what ghosts are either. And I I still consider a a certain percentage of possibility that it's like derivative of the mind somehow. You know what I mean? So it's like you've been listening to this thing. For like six hours, and somehow you know you it just all kind of connects, you know what I mean where you're right. you, you know you you can somehow shut the thing off psychically through you know it's still paranormal, but it's just right. like we have no idea how you're doing it, but but maybe there may be no ghost there at all, It might just be your mind doing it, so who knows
2: exactly yeah yeah yeah,
1: I'm glad you're open to that kind of thing
2: 'cause <laughs> yeah, yeah, like i said i mean i i I think I personally feel that the 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 ghost community as a whole that we're we're in some pretty rough times right now. And I think it's based, a lot of it is based on what has become of these ghost reality shows just continuing, you know, rightfully so, because they're trying to be entertaining, but they have so blown out what actually the reality part is that it's just gotten so extreme that what I think a ghost or whatever this stuff is, is capable of doing and is so far removed from what these guys are showing that I think we kind of need to drop back and just look at the fact that we don't have a single shred of evidence that everyone will look at and say that's a ghost. So guess right. what? That means we're doing something <laughs> wrong. You know, if if we believe that these things exist, and I do, I I just don't know what they are, what or how they actually work, but until I do then we're clearly not using the right equipment or we're not using the right things and we need to open our minds to different possibilities.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it it's I was wondering this as you were talking. It's like you know, with with UFOs and Bigfoot, it's like you you, you kind of, you know, you want to you want to get the Bigfoot, you know what I mean, or you want right. to like get the aliens or whatever, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. But it's like you can't really get a ghost. It's like what's the end game of of I don't mean what you do, but like, what's the end game of the, of the ghost hunting field? Like, establish a, a line of, like, ongoing communication with the other side somehow? It's like, is that really, is that, I guess that might be the end game, but I don't even know if people think about that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what are we, what are we trying to accomplish here? Just, we, I feel like most people kind of, you know, are like you and me, where it's like, I believe ghosts exist. I have no idea what they are. Right. You know what I mean? But it's like, so we've we almost reached that point. So it's like, what more do you want at this point? ghost It's like, do you want to, to just, again, establish some kind of line of communication? Like what's the, what's the end game? You know, it's mm-hmm. very, it's a, it's a sort of a difficult field in a way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I totally agree because me, for me personally, you're exactly right. I have over the years experienced enough things that I personally believe, you know, I know that ghosts exist. But I think that's where it gets a little tricky because I always tell people that, you know, a ghost encounter is very personal in that if you experience it, you know what it is. But if you try to tell people, you know, try to tell 10 people you just saw a ghost, five of them are going to dismiss you right off the bat as being crazy. A couple are not going to be even interested because they don't think they exist. You know, and a few are going to believe you because it's a very it's it's a very personal experience. Right. So I think a lot of people also get themselves into trouble when they try to because it seems a lot of these ghost groups seems that their end game, if you will, is to convince others, including skeptics, that ghosts exist.
0: Right, right. When
2: it's like you're not going to be able, you know, people always tell me, you know, what do you say to skeptics? And I'm like, I I tell them, good, be skeptical, you Mm. know. It's not nothing I say or show you is probably going to change your mind. You know, it, it's up to you. I mean, when I give presentations all around the state and I show some of our kind of best of the best evidence, if you will, I never say it's a ghost. I just say, I don't know what this is. Here's the situation. Take a peek. Let me know what you think. And I tell the skeptics in the audience just relax, because you probably, you know, even though you don't believe in ghosts, you got dragged here by somebody that does, and that's totally cool, and you should be getting kudos for that. Um, But I'm not going to convince you that ghosts exist. I'm not even going to try. At the end of the night, if you walk out of here saying, the guy's nuts, ghosts don't exist, but you know what? He made me think about things for a minute. Then then I've done my job, but I'm not going to try to convince you ghosts exist, because you're the only one that's going to be able to do it for yourself.
1: Right. It's yeah, I see exactly what you mean by like. It seems that that is the that does seem to be the driving force behind a lot of ghost groups, like just to to proselytize the the belief in ghosts. But then when you think about it, it's like we talk to, we talk to these to folks who do Bigfoot research, and they they you know they dig up these sort of like Native American Bigfoot stories, and they're like, this is incredible, important historical. And it is. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not bad that stuff. I'm trying to make a point that, you know, they say this is incredible historical evidence for Bigfoot. This sort of confirms that it's been going on all this time. And and then you look at like ghosts. They've been they've been around since like the Bible, I think. I'm thinking it's ghosts in the Bible. It's probably probably, but at least uh, at it least ancient the whole time. Well,
2: I mean, you know, you have the whole idea that in some versions of the Bible they refer to it as the Holy Ghost. So exactly. You
1: know? So so to me, it's like it's like ghosts are, you know. Ghosts are sort of like an uneasy fact of life in a way, mm-hmm. at least yeah. in my in my eyes. I mean, it's like it's just they've just been around forever. There's something to them. We don't know what they are exactly, but you know, who knows, right? You know, take me through one of your cases here in the book, because you got 20 in there, and you know, talk about. Just McKinnis house one, because uh, I want to talk about the laser grid. Yes. Because I mentioned that to you before the show started. Uh, uh, Just to give my own rudimentary version, this laser grid is this crazy thing that shoots like – it's like going to like the Pink Floyd laser show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It just shoots like a huge – it's like imagine the Plinko board, folks. Just little dots, like all – like little dots all along a wall. And theoretically, the ghost or whatever – is in there if it's if it's roaming around, it's gonna cross across it's like the old it's like the old uh you know, you go to school and the teachers this is gonna date me now, James, but the teacher puts the thing on the overhead projector.
2: You know, and then <laughs> I you know what you, that is, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: you do like a little dog you do like little dog shadow. It's like that kind of premise, uh, with with these lasers and stuff. And I saw the picture in the book. It's it's pretty amazing. I mean it's it's pretty remarkable. You had some you had some good developments there at the McInnes House. So, so give yeah. us sort of a, an idea, a uh, thumbnail of of how these investigations go down the Ohio's historic haunts, and as you said, it's it's the history, it's the experiencers, and then it's your own, uh, you know, attempt to experience and investigate. So, so take us through the three steps on the McInnes House.
2: Sure. Yeah. So I was um, th- the McInnes House was actually one that I came in contact with. It's an older Um, historical sort of homestead. It was by a very, um, obviously, the Litzenberg-McKinnis family was very prominent when they moved um, to Ohio and um, back in the kind of pioneer days. And it has since been turned into almost like a living museum. So they have, you know, people in um, period costumes, you know, sort of giving... ideas of, you know, what they did back in the time period. So they've got, you know, harvest festivals and those sort of things. So it's, it's an interesting place. And I was intrigued by it because you literally had the idea that we're the goat. And I mean, this is where I'm infamous for, I came up with the, the phrase two bottle conversations, because a lot of times you need like two bottles of really good wine to get this deep into these stories. But, <laughs> but um there was the idea that um, the ghosts were being reported by people who were in costume at the time. Mm. Not the regular, you know, kind of like you and I just happening off the street for their, you know, fall festival thing, exactly. but the actual, it was the costumed um, reenactors, I guess. I guess they're not actors per se, but, you know, the reenactors, yeah. the people in the period costumes, which led me to believe, you know, is there some sort of visual trigger taking place? Because, you know, I, I always joke in the. You know, people will tell you, well, if you're there at the right time, you'll see a ghost. And I would say, like, yeah, at the right time is when I'm not there. But, you know, so I've always been intrigued with, well, what makes ghosts like pop up for certain people and not others? And this started leading me down the path was, could it have something to do with they are being drawn to the idea that they're identifying with those period costumes Mm. because the ghosts are from that period? You know, again, two bottle conversation, but that's what led me to. Um, the McInnes house. And one of the interviews that I did was a woman who was in, um, you know, costume at the time. And she went into the house. It's a, you know, regular two story house. And she crossed through the living room and then kind of turned left and went up the stairs. And, and it was nighttime. They were getting ready to close up. And she had put some, um, things away up on the second floor and it was coming down the stairs. And, She said what she saw looked like a dark figure just sort of kind of leaning in over the balcony, the the banister, Mm -hmm. but like into the stairwell and kind of like looking at her. And so she backed up thinking, you know, what the hell (laughs) is that? You know, and she thought that there was somebody in the house, but there wasn't. And then she somehow mustered up the courage to just kind of bolt down the stairs. Right. And so she bolted down the stairs, went through the living room. And as she kind of looked back, she saw this darkened figure again now on the stairs kind of leaning over the railing kind of looking at her um so when we came out to sort of do the overnight what we did is we hooked up some you know um audio you know obviously audio equipment video equipment those sort of things but one of the things we um had just gotten and i believe i could be wrong but i believe this might have been the first time we used the laser grid for the book i could be wrong with that but um and basically, it's just like what you described. I mean, when we pulled apart the laser grid, we found that it was kind of just a regular um, laser pointer, almost a stronger one, obviously, that they'd kind of put just almost like a kaleidoscope type filter on. So when you turned it, it that's when it gave you all these like hundreds of, you know, laser points on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we looked at is the idea that if we shot the laser grid. Um, all the way across, it would continue until it hit a solid object. And if a human walked through it, it would not only black out and create an outline of you on the wall where you, where you were stopping the beams, if you will. But then the beams of uh, the laser beams kind of like lit you up and almost created a 3D image in the middle of the room.
0: Right, right, right. So
2: that's what we were looking to see because again, the idea that if a ghost is made up of enough mass or energy or what what have you that we were hoping that it could block out that light that we'd also be able to see it in the middle of the room where the lights were hitting it or mm. where it was stopping the beam. Exactly. Um, so what we did is we we shot that across the living room so that it was hitting all along the wall right at the bottom of the staircase where she had reported seeing the figure, and everything was fine um, for a while and then the Um, the laser grid just started pulsing as if there was something wrong that it wasn't getting enough juice or something like that. Um, Played with it for a little while, reset it. It was working fine again. And then we happened to look up in the, the uh, Amy who was with me was like, what, what the hell is that? And the laser grid, a portion of the laser grid. And that's where we've got a picture of it in the book. And unfortunately we couldn't do a color version because the color version is even creepier, but the, the picture, and there were several pictures, that happened to be the best one that we got, but for a period of roughly about 20 or 30 seconds, a portion of the laser grid was being blocked out, and some people actually say it does look like a shape of a person, um, but the really weird thing is, as I said, if if you walk in front of that laser grid and you create that shadow like what's in the book, you can still see where you're blocking out the other points. So, in other words, the other points are actually going to be hitting you and illuminating you. Right.
0: Exactly. You. Uh,
2: Tim, I don't know where those missing lights went, other than to say that they looked like they got absorbed, because you could follow them out of the laser grid, you know, from where the light was emanate, mm-hmm. emanating, mm-hmm. but halfway across the room, that whole sections were just gone. Like they weren't stopping anywhere. They were just—I don't know. It was like they were being absorbed. Weird. It is the—it is the weirdest thing, um, you know. And as I sat there and watched it, and after about thirty seconds, they just all came back on again. Did um, it
1: move? Did, like, what was the? What was for thirty seconds? What was it like? Someone was moving across, or was it kind of just like a no, solid no, point? No, it, ju-
2: it just kind of stood there, Weird. and then. Then you could kind of see the missing ones almost starting to come back up again, and then they all just pop back on.
1: Oh, weird. Like it was fading away. Yeah.
2: And now when we sent the device out to be looked at, and it's interesting because I think it's very important that any weird pictures or video or audio, any weird thing we got for that book, when I sent it back to like the manufacturers or to basically we sent some of the things out to like audio and video, you know, um, production houses. Yeah. We would always say, what went wrong with this? Did it malfunction? We, at no point did I say, and, and, and purposely sent it to different places Mm. thankfully the same equipment didn't work or didn't malfunction in two things because we were able to like for audio we sent it out to different places right but we always said you know what malfunctioned here at no point did i ever say is this a ghost
1: right exactly you weren't like you didn't call up the manufacturer and go oh it's a ghost i'm gonna send it to you that that, that would that would be crazy
2: exactly right because and again we didn't want to it kinda of goes back to these ghost shows where they're like, Listen to this E V P it says I'm right. the devil, you know, and then they play <laughs> exactly. it and you hear it because they told you that's what they're yeah. saying. So you're like, Oh my god, it does. Yeah. It's because like, you know, you're yeah. predisposed 'cause right. they've already put that nugget in your head. But um for the laser grid, when well, we sent that back to the laser manufacturer and we were like, Did this malfunction? And they said no, it appears to be working correctly and if it were to malfunction, it would not malfunction the way that you described it. Yeah. They basically said that if the laser wasn't working, that if it was not getting enough juice or if, you know, there was a problem with it or something like that, that the entire grid would go down. You would not quote unquote lose portions of the grid in midair. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, we've and I we've been using that grid ever since and we've never been able to replicate it or, you know, even When we played with it, you know, in the house, like when we had weird readings with like temperature gauges, you know, we would try to mess with it and put like, you know, fog machines around it or candle flames and stuff. With that laser grid, we tried to pass different things in front of it, knowing full well, though, that we didn't, there was nothing in between it. But we tried to see if we could recreate it that way. Um, You know, we were like, okay, did some spider webs or something come down? and, And no, we could never duplicate what that was. It's strange. It's
1: strange. Now talk about uh talk about talking to these people. What I really like uh, you approached it I did sort of a quasi. I didn't do the vigil part, but I did sort of a quasi sort of uh reporting, let's call it, on mm-hmm. the uh, on the Whaley house in San Diego. You oh, know, yeah, I visited yeah. there and talked to people, wrote an article about it and uh-huh. uh what I what I sort of did and it sounds like what you and I know it's what you did uh with your book, Ohio's Historic Haunts, uh, was to talk to the people that work there you know cuz those are the people if it's one of these like places that people work at you know what i mean like a house but you know cuz those are the people that chances are have not only like the best stories but they have the most uh potential for stories cuz they're all the time and you know chances are they have they're they're jaded to the idea of the ghosts. you know what i mean they they're used to the idea they're not like out there looking around for it which to me makes it uh more potent The the possibility that they experience something because it's it's like we were talking about the whole psychic possibility. It's like if you're ghost hunting, you're putting it out there into Mm -hmm. the ether that you're looking for something. But if you're just working there as a janitor, you know, and you're taking the trash out and you experience something, it's not because you were like, oh, I hope I don't run into the ghost. Like you're thinking about that, you know, that all you got to do now is throw out the trash and then you can go hit the bar after work. You know what I mean? (laughs) You're not thinking about the ghost. So you're not putting it out there into the ether. So, I think those are the folks, those experiences have the most, uh, you know, weight to them. That's probably the best way to put it. So I guess I, you know, you don't have to talk about all the people you talk to in the book because there's tons of them. But I guess sort of talk about that experience. As you said, you sat across from these folks and you believe that they had these experiences. So I guess talk about, you know, meeting with these people that had these experiences and, and what that whole experience, for for lack, for lack of terms, uh, was like for you to talk to these folks and sort of, um, in a way, it's it's. I'm sure it was almost like, I mean, I'm sure they've told people before, but I but I get the impression sometimes from dealing with people, you know, it's therapeutic for them to share their story in a way too. So I, I'm sure they kind of felt like they were almost unburdened, also talking to you. So talk about that whole process.
2: Yeah, they they definitely felt that they were in many cases by, that a weight had been lifted off their shoulders because um, a lot of these locations uh, for the one part had never really been um, investigated before Mm -hmm. but had long-standing ghost stories associated with them and a lot of them were sort of had kind of almost become like more like urban legends and I always joke and say like you know urban legends never die they just mutate every five years you know so there was a lot of sitting down with these owners and trying to dissect what the quote-unquote true ghost encounters were based on the ones that had been you know As opposed to the ones that have been kind of made up and fabricated over the years. Um, the other thing, like you said, exactly right. These are the people that are in the building. They know the building. The other thing that I found, which I was hoping for and, and I did get it is that since they're in the building so much, they were able to distinguish the difference between the quote unquote ordinary noises Mm. and things that were not, you know, so absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, That's critical. Yeah. I mean, we would look for, we look for that a lot of times when we do our private investigations of homes. But, you know, you know, as well as I do, you go into a strange place, you know, and every little noise, you know, could be mistaken for a ghost. So it was interesting to sit down with these people and just talk with them about it. The other thing that um, I was hoping for and did get as well is in that talking. What I did is I basically when I reached out to them and because this was being put out by Kent State University, it had to go through all of their review boards so all of the um, people that I was interviewing had to get cleared, basically, from the owners of the buildings. So it wasn't that we were just randomly contacting whoever. Right. So it was interesting because how this normally began is I would contact the owners of the building. Mm-hmm. Once they agreed to be in it, I would say, okay, here's what I'm looking for. I would like you know, to talk to some people who believe they've encountered a ghost. And the owners were the actual ones who would be referring me to them. So you were now getting that further validity because these were owners who were passing me off to people whose stories the owners believed as well. Mm. Um, so those were interesting. It was also good in that they had to sign release forms for their interviews and then those all had to be cleared back through the owners that they were okay with the stories. So there was that added sort of validity in that again, the owners weren't reading these stories, interviews and going, "No, I never heard of that, or that, right, right, that's right. completely made up." Yeah, but it, so it was a very interesting thing. And then finally, what I loved about it is, in many instances, I was given almost multi-generational stories. In that, you know, I was talking, you know, a lot of these buildings are very old, and the owners have been there for years and years. And so I would be talking with people who had ghost encounters from, say, like back in the 70s and the 80s. So they weren't all recent stories. And it became very cool because it was almost as if I was creating the ghost history, if you will, because it's like, okay, you know, back in the 70s, they they first saw this woman, but now they know that the woman, you know, in the 80s, they identified her as being this person. So it was an interesting way of actually... Writing not only about the ghost story, but the history of the ghost stories associated with each of those buildings. Mm,
1: yeah, yeah. So rich on a number of levels.
2: Yeah, which is what definitely. I like about yeah.
1: about how the book got put together. Yeah, it's uh, and, and and when you have like kind of the layers of 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 the paperwork, it it, it works out in a way I think too, because I think it probably weeds out the people that are like I, I think you know you're never gonna give, you're never gonna bat a thousand, but it's like it, I would presume it weeds out sort of the the near wells you know what i mean they're they're not gonna make up they're not gonna mess with you to make up some story once they've had to fill up, you know get it cleared with their boss and everything
2: so. exactly exactly and the, and I mean there were the other interesting thing about it is that I kind of did even though I didn't include any of it in the well my intent was not to include any sort of second generation or ghost stories from say the internet or mm. you know other ghost groups or you know other Ohio ghost books it was all supposed to be based off of those interviews i did do you know basic research on the alleged hauntings before i did the interviews and what i found which was quite fascinating is in many instances the ghost stories that were surrounding the building that the public knew about were not the real ghost stories mm. um i think a good example was there was a um uh, well there still is a, a building in Toledo Ohio the Oliver house um Major Oliver was the uh, the person who built it. It was at it was one time it was like a gorgeous hotel room I mean, to the point where it actually each room in the hotel back in the, you know, you're talking in the 1800s, had its own fireplace, had its own hot and cold running water. I mean, it was really, really opulent. Now it's become a, a, a series of restaurants all contained in one building. But if you look up the Oliver House anywhere online um, – or even in several books, I believe, they all make reference to the ghost of the captain. And some online sources even go so far to say is that it's the ghost of Captain Oliver. Well, you find out through you know going in there and speaking with the owners and doing the actual research that he was Major Oliver. He was never a captain. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, right there off the bat, it's not him. And then you find out that the ghost who everyone sees that outsiders refer to as the captain. The people in the Oliver house for generations have just referred to him as the blue man because he appears as he's dressed in is an, an all blue sort of uniform, almost like a uh, like a railroad worker sort of thing. So he's okay, got yeah. coveralls, those sort of things on. But how the captain came into play is that there was one psychic Who walked through a building, the building and said, I feel really weird here because I feel like there's something over in the corner here. I get the impression of a guy and like he's like a captain or something. Oh, God. And somebody said, I wonder if that's that blue man that people see in here. And instantaneously, those two melded. So. It was interesting for me to then approach that and go, wow, that's kind of cool. It's total BS, but, you know, so there – so, you know, I get to tell people now that, yeah, I did the research and the ghost that they're seeing, there is no ghost of the captain. I mean, I guess there could be, but one psychic sensed something, but who everybody refers to as the captain is actually the blue man who isn't even dressed like a captain.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. See, yeah, I know what you mean in a sense where it's like uh the stories that go around – they 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 usually sort of like one or two big stories, you know what yep. I mean? And then, but then when you get when you hone in further and talk to the people, it's it's sort of little smaller sort of occurrences. Yes. Um. Now what's this one? Tell me about the Ohio State Reformatory, because that just sounds that already sounds like bad news. <laughs> uh. You know, is it? This is some. Now, now I'm now I'm now I'm showing my age in the sense that I don't remember exactly what a what a what a reformatory was. Is that a school for bad children?
2: Well, it's, it could be, but more often than not, and in the case of Mansfield, it was a prison.
1: Okay, then are. um But <laughs> it, it it
2: was basically, the difference was that, it you know, I mean, you've got all sort of ones with subtle differences, like a penitentiary, you were supposed to give penance and do that. But the reformatory, ah, okay. the idea, the name reformatory came as that it was believed that, what they basically did originally was that they sent sort of, petty criminals up there was the idea that you were going there to be reformed. So you weren't really hardened criminals. So it was kind of like the petty thieves or the first time offenders. Yeah.
1: You had a chance to be sent back into
2: society. Um, The interesting thing about that is that it started out like that so much so that the, in the history of it, um, the first prisoners that came up there, um, they were shipped. How they came about is the, um, Ohio State Penitentiary was basically down in Columbus was overrun. And so that's when they decided we'll come up with this sort of reformatory in Mansfield, which is about an hour and a half maybe tops from Columbus for kind of the lesser criminals. The first prisoners that they shipped up to the reformatory were so low level that the first job that they had when they were there was to build the the prison wall. (laughs) So like these were, you know, these were like – Petty criminals, those sort of things.
1: Oh, my Um, God. That's crazy. Yeah.
2: But over time, um, you know, every time Columbus shipped up some people, they would ship, you know, they'd slip in a murderer or two or something like that. And eventually (laughs) – to keep things interesting. Yeah. And, well, it got so interesting that they had to install um, chain link fences on the outside of the uh, – near the cell blocks because prisoners were chucking each other off the top. And, I mean, you would have like a – you know, like a 19-year-old pickpocket – having to bunk with, like, you know, a 45-year-old lifer convicted, you know, of three murders or something. Oh, God. So, it got, so it got really, really, really nasty, Yeah. Um, really quick, a lot of deaths and stuff. The, the really twisted thing in its history, though, which I, I found incredible, is that a bunch of people actually died breaking out of prison when they tried to break back in. So these guys would get, because again, it was a reformatory, so a lot of these hardened criminals would just basically run away, you know, and then, and then they would get off, you know, leave, but then rather than, you know, they weren't very bright, I guess, but there were numerous cases where they escaped, got away scot free, and then would go get a gun and try to, to break back into the prison to get their friends out and would end up like one guy shot a guard and he went to the electric chair for that. Some other guy had a, a problem with the uh, reformatory groundskeeper, and basically like broke back in, and him and a friend like killed the, the guy, poor guy's entire family. Oh my god! They both cried for that. So there's just these weird, twisted tales. That's um, bizarre. Yeah, it's it's probably the first sort of prison thing that I've looked at. That, as I said, a lot of people died. Breaking back in—is
1: that normal for old prisons, or is that is that is that something that that is unique to this place?
2: The idea of them getting back in,
1: yeah, the the idea of like people escaping and then coming back to sort of uh, you know
2: get their revenge. I, yeah, I, get the revenge. You know, I I don't know. It's certainly the only one that I know about. And again, this is back in the days when, as I said, it was technically a reformatory, so they were looking for petty criminals, you know, right, to right. put. And it just kind of became a. Hmm, you know, I don't know how you would actually put it, but basically, since Columbus was slipping up, some people that shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I think it created that unique environment. Okay. I mean, it could That's have weird. happened in other ones, but yeah, I
1: never, never heard, heard of that before. It. But then I think about it, and I'm like, ah, I guess it can. Back back in the day when they couldn't track you, where you know, like <laughs> I can see how people would escape, and then be like, I'm going back to get that guy
2: now. <laughs> yeah, but, but
1: why you would do that, I have no idea. That, yeah,
2: that I out. don't know because I would think <laughs> if I got away. You know, I'd be like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to chance it. Yeah,
1: I'm not going within ten miles of that place. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. And then, I mean, the the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that even if you've never heard of the Mansfield Reformatory, if you saw Shawshank Redemption, ninety percent of that movie was filmed in there. Oh, wow. So it's uh, it's got a, a boatload of history. I mean, ironically, the only part that like a lot of I'm gonna ruin it for. The two people in the universe haven't seen Shawshank Redemption yet. But the uh, the only parts that weren't filmed inside that prison were the shots, the establishing shots when they were showing like the prisoners coming out for like roll call or whatever, when they come out from either side, Mm -hmm. you know, and the prison guards would walk in the middle. Um, Mansfield is actually the prison cells back up to each other. Yeah. And they didn't want that. So they actually built that particular part. But everything else was filmed there all the way down to like the halfway house. And the really cool part is you know the halfway house with the famous you know um Brooks was here and so was Red carved in the wall. Yep. That's still there in, in in man in the prison.
0: Oh
1: wow.
2: Because there was this is what I believe happened is the prison was had been basically almost condemned by that part when um Shawshank came to film. And so they were basically told yeah do whatever you want. Mm. Um and after it wrapped I believe this is my best guess Because I don't know why else they would have done this, but I think the production company just believed that it was going to get knocked down, so they were like, "Screw it, we'll just leave all the props in here, you know, save us having to like demolish them ourselves." But that's cool. That makes me
1: want to just go there and check it out because I love that movie.
2: It's definitely worth it. I mean, yeah, if you like the movie, you definitely need to go there because just for that alone, I mean, it's all still there, all the way down to the various um, tunnels, I guess you could say, that Andy had to climb through to get out. Oh wow, um, that's cool. You know the, but it's it's just a, the only parts of the building that that did get demolished are when they're out. Um, oh, I think it's is it the license plate? The building that they've actually got to retar. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That building is gone, and there's a couple of shots where they're actually playing. Basically, if you watch Shawshank and and you see a building, any building that's made of brick, mm-hmm. it's not there anymore. But all the other stone structures are. Still there, and it's just—it looks like Dracula's castle. I mean, it is just enormous and immense, and it's—you uh, can get, you could probably spend about maybe two or three hours in there and still not see all of it. Wow. Yeah, it's the uh, got the world's tallest freestanding cell block. It's six stories tall. Jesus. Yeah, it's a—it's uh, pretty intense.
1: So tell me about the ghosts that are there.
2: There are numerous ghosts that are actually, you know, said to be around there. There are. um Probably one of the more um, famous or infamous ones is one of the wardens. uh, Now, the story um, is that the warden and the the really cool thing, too, about the reformatory is that the wardens all would live on the property. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because the. Literally the front, if you look at any picture of like the reformatory, the front of the, uh, the building, what most people look at and think is the prison, it's not. Uh, like it's four stories and two wings, and that is basically where the warden and his family would live, and they would have offices and those sort of things there um, back behind it. So basically he would get up, you know, and he'd be living in the front part of that with his family. He would go down a set of stairs through a couple of doors and he would be in the prison (laughs) itself. Um, But there was one particular like warden in his family, and and he had been the warden there for forever. But it was um, his name was Arthur Glatke. But he was and I think technically his title was superintendent back there. So basically he ran the prison and his uh, his wife, Helen. Live there. And now, depending on the the popular version, is that they didn't like each other very much, and that he, um, Arthur, staged, um, he basically shot her in the prison and tried to make it look like an accident and got away with it. But then, uh, a few years later, her ghost came back for revenge. And he died of a heart attack, you know, at the prison while he was working at his desk. Oh my God! Um, and both of their ghosts are said to to haunt the building. Now, the true story is actually that they were they were both, by all accounts, they were they were happily married. <laughs> and the um, the sad fact, though, is that, and I don't remember. I believe it was Easter Sunday, but it was. Um, I might have the days wrong, but it's it, okay. Uh, for some, but basically, they were getting ready for church. And she went into the closet to pull down a hat. That's why I keep thinking it was on Easter Sunday. But they were getting ready to go to church. And he had actually hidden a pist- a loaded pistol up there, which was kind of common back then because, well, your neighbors were prisoners. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And then she reached up to get the hat, and she pulled down the hat box, and the gun went off and discharged accidentally. Oh, God. Um, She died a few days later at the uh, – at the hospital and it was basically she survived the gunshot wound but then it was an infection basically that right. um she died from but but there were there were no there's no truth to the idea that he, he tried to bump her off um but he did die of a heart attack in there and um people have reported hearing them um over in the sort of administration wing she is often um her ghost is often accompanied by the smell of flowers um to me, the the ones that I thought were like the weirdest and the ones that, you know, I, I would see there, but it always got to the point with like, am I really seeing that where they have these sort of shadowy figures hmm. um, that many believe are like inmates that are going up and down? And I will tell you that when you're walking through there in the middle of the night, you know, and all the lights are off and you're basically walking down. I mean, if you see the pictures of these things, they... The, it's been closed for decades, and they really haven't done anything. So you're looking at these rotting, decaying cell doors yeah. that are all open, and you're walking down a row as if you're like a prison guard, and you're walking down this row of almost like a 100 cells. Oh, it's creepy. And yeah, and, and it's pitch black, and then all of a sudden, you do start to see what look like – I mean, it's it's the weirdest thing. You start to see what look like these figures – like poking their heads out of the cells at you and then pulling back. And it's like, it's, it's just, it's very unnerving. And again, it goes back to the idea that I dare anybody to walk into Mansfield reformatory and not feel overcome with it. Now, is that a ghost or is that just the idea that, you know, you walk into a place where some bad stuff went down, mm. you know? And so again, you're walking through basically an abandoned prison all alone in the middle of the night Yeah, I think you're going to start to hear and see some stuff, you know, so we didn't really ever walk away with anything that we could say 100%. That was definitely paranormal. But, you know, when you're alone, like sitting in, there were times where I was sitting in the solitary confinement, you know, all by myself. There is nobody in that entire wing. And you clearly hear footsteps of somebody walking down the hallway outside there.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Where the hell is that coming from? And I'm not talking about you hear a little rustle. I'm talking like eight, ten, twelve
0: steps. Right,
2: right. It's now. Do you? We? I did this ghost
1: hunt over the summer, and they mm-hmm. do lights out, where they just turn on the. Light. So how do? You, is that how you guys do it too? Where you just do it in the pitch? You must have a flashlight in case of an emergency, but do you just sort of maneuver around in
2: the in the pitch black. I mean, it varies for yeah. a while. I, <laughs> I wore like a real badass like headlamp because I thought that was kind of cool, but then, you know, it, it didn't work really well. So, um, it. It really depends on the situation for our, if we're going into say, you know, people's, um, homes, like private residences, what we will actually do is, um, if somebody were to contact us, we, the first thing that we do, you know, after the interview, what we'll do is we'll have them keep a journal. We give them this little pre, you know, filled out form, uh, form of like lines. And so they can kind of just jot down. Anything weird that happens, the date, the time, the area of the house, you know, it's it's very, you know, it's not very scientific. It's just jot down anything weird that happens. And what we'll do is try to determine if there's a pattern to when the things are happening. Mm. Um, You know, and if, I'm just going to make this up, but if it seems that things are happening between 2 and 4 in the the afternoon, well, you know, we'll go out there, you know, probably at like 10 in the morning to make sure we're there over that time when they're experiencing things. So we don't always go in the dark um i think these shows go out there in the dark just cuz admittedly you know it's it's scarier right um but we will um do a lot of investigations in the dark simply because if we're using a lot of our equipment particularly the photography stuff definitely the video if we're using like um infrared video cameras on it a lot of that is sensitive to the light that if you're going around with lights on and those sort of things you're kind of burning those things out oh wow,
0: that's true too. Um, yeah
2: yeah so a lot of times we will kind of what we would we normally do is we will shut down the lights you know if we're doing something at night we'll get into like positions and then normally what i will do is say okay for the you know from for the next 45 minutes You two guys are in the living room. You two are on the second floor, and you two are in the basement. Hmm. Just And you know what? Let's sync our watches, and we're going to stay down in those areas for 45 minutes. Then we'll get in those positions, and then we'll kind of, like, shut down the lights and and do that. The reason, other than, you know, so you're not falling over each other, is so that if you're, you know, if you're on the second floor, and it's just the two of you sitting in, I'm making this up, but the bedroom, and you hear somebody in the next room talking you know, there's nobody else on that floor with you. Hmm. So yeah, but the idea of, of, you know, running around in the dark and doing things like that, I think a lot of it, it's just, you know, for TV, I will say, though, that part of me prefers doing it at night, if for no other reason that, You know, other than for the equipment, it's the idea that, for me, I find that the world starts to slow down at night. So there's less phone calls, there's less text, there's less, you know, road traffic. So it's kind of like things start to calm down a little, and you can really kind of recenter yourself and focus on the environment. Hmm. Hi there. Do you have any books on how to get rid of ghosts?
0: Have you tried telling them you're ready for a commitment? (laughs)
2: You're listening to
1: Banal of America Audio.
0: Ah, oh, like a relationship. Exactly. That'll send them running, huh? <laughs> oh, ho, 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 ho. I like her. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Uh, here you go. Maybe this will help.
1: Now, how many folks are on these expeditions with you or ghost hunts? Uh, You know, you, you've kind of name-dropped a few of them. They must be from your from your group, so... You know, uh, give a give a little give a little props to them, and tell me a little bit about sort of the, the crew that you have had on these various things. I presume it sort of varies. You know, one one time maybe Phil can't come out, but uh, but but Jim can or something like that, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. We, I mean, we have got. I would say that there's probably a core of like a ten or twelve oh, nice. of us within the group that have been. And the really cool thing is that when I develop the group, you know, and it's a there's an application process and. And all that that goes into play, and the reason for that is I purposely handpick people because one, I wanna feel safe being alone in the dark with them to be honest but, <laughs> but but the flip side of that is i the Ghost of Ohio is made up of everything from true believers into to total skeptics, mm-hmm. and they are from backgrounds as far as um you know electrical engineers to Um, got, one of our guys actually got top secret clearances. Oh, wow, nice. uh, You know, all the way down to, you know, HR people and things like that. Because I purposely did that because I want the full range of belief systems as well. So we have everything from atheists to Catholics to Wiccans. Because whenever we get a piece of evidence, if you will, you know, because what we do is we'll go out, we'll do the investigation, and then you know we'll we'll divide up all the cameras and and then that kind of stuff, and everybody goes away and they review it, and then once a month, or more if we need to, but definitely at least once a month we have our monthly meeting where people bring in and they're like, okay, I didn't get anything on this, I didn't get anything on this. Okay, here's two things that I think is are weird. Yeah. And then comes the best part, we all fight. <laughs> because you're like, no, that's not a ghost. That's a ghost. That's a... And what I'm looking for is I want that whole broad spectrum. Right. Because at the end of the day, if we can all walk away from it and go, no idea what happened. That to me is what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for anybody to say it's a ghost. I'm just looking for all of us from all different viewpoints to say, I don't know what it is. And the cool thing about that Tim, is that I probably got, I know for a fact like uh, Wendy, um, who actually is, the team leader for our Cleveland division, uh, Wendy and Sam. Uh, both those ladies have been with me for over a decade. So, nice. you know, I guess I'm doing something right, that they're willing to <laughs> spend that much time with me. You know, um, Darren who is Darren and Julie, who are part of the, the Columbus division, um, they're probably approaching a decade as well. You know, um, Julie... Sean, I mean, all the names, like, you're just, I don't want yeah. to say they run together, but they're all they're no, funny I because, they're, they're, they're because they're going to miss somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, but yeah, so even, so they're part of the Columbus one. And then Mark and Jeff, who who are the main guys from the Cincinnati one. I mean, I know Jeff has been with me at least a decade. So they're, they're not, we're kind of old and grizzled, I guess, in that, <laughs> you know, that we're, we're kind of. It's it's a team, and it's you know I I tell them all that you know I could not have written definitely the book because Ohio's historic haunts without them because it's, if you flip through the book you're going to see all those names that I just said and more because it in many ways it was like me taking the ghosts of Ohio and moving it into a different realm where we yeah. could actually you know go into these historical places and look at them.
1: Hmm. Now what is it about? They said this uh, – I know you don't like – obviously, you're not going to necessarily know the answer, so I was speculate, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. But it's like, what is it about theaters? It seems that, that was the joke because uh, the ghost on I did, it was in a theater, and they're like – they say you know, it's not a real theater unless it has a ghost or something like that. It's like, what? why do you think it is that, that theaters – because you don't hear about a lot of people dying in theaters, except for Lincoln, of course. But <laughs> what is it about theaters that, that seem to – seem to, you know, um,
2: spawn these ghost stories? One, I think it's cool because, you know, <laughs> the theaters, you know, it, it's kind of like I've never heard of a, a college, you know, or a university that doesn't have more than its share of ghosts, too. You know, it, right. it's it's kind of like you, you have to have one. And then there's also the idea that the theaters have the idea of the the ghost light, you know, that you always they always leave a single light on. So that's something I always think is kind of interesting. If you ever go to a theater, just be like, where's your ghost light? because it's a uh, you know the theater in general has got a long tradition with not only superstitions but a lot of ghost lore you yeah. know? so that, so you know the, there's the shakespeare play that you're not allowed to mention by name or bad oh, things so yeah. ha- you know so they they're already kind of predisposed for those sort of stories but i do think there might be something with the idea that they they have this idea of what they call like a residual which is it's nothing right. more than a form of energy that's kind of just left behind. And I have found that those, you know, while they, they don't really classify as a ghost per se because they don't ever, it's like watching an old film loop. They just keep doing the same thing. It's just like left behind energy. But they are most prevalent. The one that everybody points to are like battlefields because they, they usually are, are in places where there's a lot of sort of spontaneous energy that's released mm. I think theaters fall into that category because you've got a lot of people, be it, you know, even if it's just like a music act or, you know, or if it's a a comedy act or any sort of act that's up on that theater stage, they're pouring their heart out. They're giving all their energy to that. So there could be something in the idea that all of that, you know, if you look at all of these old theaters and you're like, wow, it was around since vaudeville and I don't know. Houdini was here, and you, know, and you talk about through that entire time period, you've got a lot of people exerting energy on that stage. So I think there might be something to the idea that some of that got left behind.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. That you're right, because it's like a theater, yeah, any sort of performance, there's a lot of energy expounded. So, And if we're talking about energy, it's, it's interesting, too, you mentioned the sort of residual. I was going to kind of ask you about that when we were talking about the prison, but I forgot about it. But it's like mm-hmm. that... That makes the makes sense in a way where it's like if there's this sort of routine to a place. it seems like that always seems to you know uh conjure up ghosts or ghost stories. you know right. what I mean
2: yeah, I mean but it's also if you look at say the example of uh, again the prison with that residual energy, you have to think of the idea that you know a lot of people will tell you that you go, that people think there's a lot of evil spirits in the reformatory. And right. I didn't get that impression, but I looked upon the idea that the energy that would have been being exerted through there was probably really negative, because you probably had a lot of pissed off, you had a lot of despair up exactly. in there, you know. And it's, and I think in many respects, and it's suppressed
1: can, energy, you know yeah. what I mean? Because if you're behind the thing, it's it's sort of like a person who's stuck in the cell is is. The, you know, that that energy is is condensed and suppressed because they obviously they can't get out of the cell and do anything.
2: Right. And, and and if you think also about how much would that suck if you actually were a prisoner there for 20, 30 years or something like that, and then you died and you still can't get out of the damn place. <laughs> I mean, that would really kind of suck, you know, And it, and I think again, I think that's where I think we need to change sort of our mindset of what a ghost is, because you know, it's almost like you're getting into like the psychic realm here. When you say this, that because we've all done this, we've all like gone out to a party and you know, you're, you're with your friends and you walk in and you're like, I don't like that guy. Yeah. And they're like, why you don't know him. And you're like, I get a weird vibe off of him. (laughs) I think that's, that could be, maybe that's considered being psychic, but we've all done it. Right. You know, we've all gone into a place and been like, I don't like it, man. Just something doesn't feel right here. Or we've (laughs) all actually been like, Man, I feel like somebody's staring at me and you turn around and there's somebody looking at you. So, what the hell is that? Right. You know, I think we all are able to pick up on that. I just don't know what that is. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's definitely, there's something in the, in the ether that we haven't quite figured out yet. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, and I think that it connects to the ghost part of it all, which is yep. the interesting aspect of it. Now, I guess. I I hate to ask this question. You probably do. You know, I know you do a lot of like book signings and sort of Q and A's and speaking events and stuff. So you probably get this one all the time. But you know, the listeners love this sort of thing. So like, what's the spookiest, scariest thing that you've encountered uh, during one of these investigations, even if it isn't from Ohio's historic haunts? So I don't want you to have to, you know, stretch here. But what, what, you know, there's got to be something that stood out in all your years of looking at this stuff, where you're like, okay, this is this is, you know. This this one's going in my memoir. So this one's I'm gonna tell my grandkids this one. It's so like, what's the what's the craziest, wildest, strangest, most frightening thing? You know, it doesn't even have to necessarily be scary. It may just be something where you're like, whoa, you know. But what is it? What's your what's your what's your favorite sort of
2: moment? It, it's funny because it, 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 I I never used to have one. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I mean, there were a bunch that were kind of like, okay, well that was kind of odd. That was kind of strange or something like that. But um a few years ago and and I've been kind of thinking about this a lot more recently and as I do each time I think more about it 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 creeps me out even more so I th- I think it's probably a a good one to share it um, we were down a few years ago at um the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in um in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh
1: yeah, that's a big one for yeah.
2: for stuff like this. And we what we did is um it, it's kind of interesting we have a Sort of a contest. We we have a free newsletter that we send out to everybody. We email it out every other month, and Mm -hmm. we have a contest where if we it's called Spend the Night with the Ghosts of Ohio. And if we randomly pull your um, email address from that, you get locked into a big building with us overnight. So basically, (laughs) you know, it's they like that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no,
1: I'm I'm listening now, and I'm like, how can I enter?
2: There you go. Subscribe (laughs) to the newsletter. Yep, you subscribe to that. We pull your name. You know,
1: I want in on this. Okay, so so all right, go on.
2: So um. And then what we norm, what we do is we go to these larger locations, you know, that normally put you on these big, you know, fifty, hundred person ghost hunts. And we say, we want to rent it out for say twenty people. You know, how much is it? And We basically rent it out, so it's just us in the building. And I was in a group with um, it was Mark, Amy, and okay, so there were there were four of us, including myself. Mm-hmm. And um and They're walking us around, and they're telling you these stories, and one of the stories that they mentioned was up on the fourth floor. Um, They had a thing that they called the creeper, and the creeper um, was this black shadowy thing. It looked human, but it crawled around on its uh, hands and knees uh, on the ceiling. Oh, weird. Yeah. And um, and the fourth floor was also the point where they said that they would that people would report like seeing like the, they call it the doppelganger where you would see it, someone's double.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but they said if you wanted a chance to see the creeper, that what you needed to do is go up to the fourth floor and you got one person to kind of stand at one end of the hallway because it was just patient rooms, you know, just doors on the left and the right. And you right. get one person to stand at one end of the hallway. And everybody else goes to the under end of the hallway, and you turn out the lights, and then eventually the creeper would come, like kind of I guess creeping up behind the one person standing there by himself. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be the bait. So <laughs> the four of us went up there, and and um, Amy, Mark, and Adam went to the one end of the hallway, and you know they're looking down the hallway at me, and I had a uh, a handheld video camera, and I put it down like between my legs, and I had a Um, a headlamp on so I put the camera down between my legs and then I clicked the headlamp off and I was just standing you know in the middle of the hallway and after about 15 or 20 minutes you know we're just all standing there being really quiet and I hear them start kind of like rustling around like a little bit and I hear one of them say something to the effect of where did he go and the other one somebody else said I think he went in that room and then I heard them go James so I went, yeah. And then I heard, oh, blank, that wasn't him. And I'm like, oh God, what's going on? Well, uh, Mark and Amy, um, both swear to this day. Adam claims he didn't see it, but I'm everybody is convinced he did as well. And he left the group a little short time after that. But, The other two swore that as they were watching me standing in the hallway, that I turned on my headlamp, so illuminated myself, bent down, picked up my video camera, you know, from between my legs, and then walked into the the patient room on my left and never moved. What? That's weird. Yeah. And so that's something like when it happened, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. But the more I think about it, it really kind of freaks me out because – they all said that not only, it's not like they saw my shadow.
0: Yeah, you light on. That. that
2: I lit up and left, and basically the hallway was empty. And it freaks me out because I never left that hallway, so where the hell did I go? Like they said after I left there, the hallway was empty. And That's that, weird. That, 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 you know really freaks the more he's you know late at night as i'm drifting off to sleep and i suddenly start thinking about that i'm like holy crap where 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 did i go
1: that is weird yeah that's really strange
2: Jeez. because is that like i mean i mean what do you call that is that a time slip is that i mean i don't know what that is but it's it's like i said the more i think about it it just weirds me out because had they said they saw like me in another area or something i'd be like all right they you know they didn't you know, they they just thought they saw me or something like that. I can kind of wish it away, I guess. Yeah. But the fact that they both and, and you know, Mark especially is incredibly level headed. You know, he's a scientist, like a legitimate right. <laughs> scientist guy. He's a man of science who designed some of our equipment. And uh, that just weirds me out because, like I said, I, th- they both swear that hallway was empty and I never moved.
1: That is really really weird. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Like you said it's like it's almost even like less a ghost story and just
2: Yeah, know. I don't yeah, I don't know what to make of it because you know, it I mean, I guess it's a ghost. I mean, what is it? Because they saw something. They saw me fully illuminate because
1: like, they were sure it was you now, right? I mean, I'm just saying – I'm I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. So I'm just like, wait. So, they, so like, the light, the light came on and everything, and they saw, like, that it was you.
2: Yeah, and and the headlamp is – it's one of those – it's a flip headlamp. Yeah. So you can actually, you know, just flip it down so that when you illuminate, it, you're not blinding people. It's like looking down at the ground. Right, right. So it was – it. I usually have it flipped down. Mm-hmm. And they said that they saw me – you know, they – They saw me turn on the headlamp, so then basically my entire face is totally lit up as well as the outline, you know, that they could totally see the front part of me. So it looked as if I was, like, saying – I'm paraphrasing, but Mark said that, you know, it looked like I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to go in another room. So that I turned on the headlamp so that I could, like, see the camera I was going to pick up, and then with the headlamp still on, picked up the camera and then walked away, and then the light kind of faded. And you so know, as, I, as I went in the other room, but but I never moved or turned on the lamp.
1: And and
2: what's making me even more
1: puzzled by this then <laughs> is that where you were, you didn't nothing. see any light. Correct. That's
0: bizarre. Yeah.
2: yeah. And that and wow. that they and that up until that point they saw my outline, you know, without the light on. Hmm. But that after the light came on, the light went into the other room and kind of left. And that the hallway, my shadow, if you will, wasn't in the hallway anymore.
1: That is one of the strangest stories I've heard in a long time. And, I yeah, heard, and... I've heard some real strange ones
2: lately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe your, your listeners can figure out, but like I said, I don't know what to make of it. It just kind of – because it, it involved me, and I <clears> know <throat> that I was in that hallway. It just creeps me out because I just keep going back to where the hell did I go?
1: Right, right. Steve Ray in the chat room says this was kind of what was rolling around in my mind, too, uh, like uh, for lack of a better term, like some kind of reverse doppelganger or something, some kind of doppel doppelgang situation or something.
2: I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's the weirdest. And like I said, you know, I never I, you know, prior to that, that happening, you know, I had always said, well, you know, I, there were always stories about me thinking I saw something or, you know, the more right. normal sort of things. But this just weirds me out because, like I said, it I don't know. It to me it makes it creepier because it directly affected my existence, if that makes sense. Oh
1: yeah, man. I was I was killing myself for asking you that question, but now I'm thrilled that I did. So that that was one of the best stories I've heard in a long, long time. And like I said, I've heard some real strange ones lately, but that that was really uh that's that that's that's, that's gonna keep me up at night trying to figure out exactly what went down. Well that's if, weird.
2: if you can figure it out, shoot me. <laughs> Because yeah, I don't. I mean, I've I've kind of given up coming up with an answer for it. But mm. like I said, the more I think about it, it just continually weirds me out.
1: And so you were gone, like, in from their field of vision. Then what made them sort of like ask where, if you were still there? Did you kind of reappear? Or were they just sort of puzzled as to
2: they were? They were just sort of puzzled as to like wh- wh- why I had left. Because like Mark had said, it looked like you know we had gone up there specifically you know and that was our time. So again, we had that whole area for, you know, the 45 minutes or whatever until we were going to go back downstairs. Yeah. So they were just confused like, okay, so he doesn't want to be the bait anymore or something. They were just a little confused as to why I didn't like say, I'm done or whatever that I just kind of picked up shop and left. Mm. You know, and that's why they were kind of having that conversation, you know, where did he go? He went in that room, and that's when they called my name, you know, kind of like hesitantly like calling to me Mm. and what they said what freaked them out is when i you know when they you know when they were like james and i went yeah and they heard my voice coming from the hallway they said that's the first time like when they were like oh shoot something's not right here and they said that that's when they kind of realized wait he is in the hallway again
1: that is really weird stories but
2: i heard them the whole time so it's not like i i don't know it's like weird, like I yeah. It's
1: not like you slipped into another dimension. Or
2: something. <laughs> I mean, that sounds really trippy, but yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, we're open to anything on this show, so yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm flummoxed by that one, but thrilled at the same time to have heard that story. That's cool. Really, really weird. Uh, yeah, I told you, folks, we we're gonna do some creepy stuff,
0: creepy <laughs> stuff
1: for Halloween. This one's a real creeper. That's that's really weird. Um. All right, let me see what other uh cases here are in the book. This one's interesting to me uh it's in the book, it's the Sullivan Johnson Museum. Another sort of location where things seem to happen, you know. And I think it's, it's it connects kind of with what you were talking about. It's like history where there's history, there's ghosts. That seems to be the the prevailing uh idea here. And mm-hmm. and uh the Sullivan Johnson Museum you say uh, that you brought in a neighbor who had a personal connection with the ghost said to haunt the building, and that's yeah. really, you know, that differs in a lot of ways from sort of. Uh, again, I'm I'm a neophyte really to the to the ghost world, so maybe it's not exactly uh, a rarity, but it's a rarity in in from what I know as far as sort of like you hear ghost stories, they're always sort of like secondhand or from like the 70s or something like that. This this sounds like it's like a modern ghost situation. Uh, and it's it's sort of – it's interesting, it's compelling in a way to be able to sort of connect someone who's passed away with someone who they knew and maybe see what might come about. And it sounds like you uh, – something did come about. So I guess tell us about the uh, Sullivan Johnson Museum.
2: Yeah, it was really kind of like trippy because with um, – it wasn't really the plan to um, have sort of that um, – not sure go, but that sort of personal connection with the ghost. But what we did is um when we went to it, the Sullivan Johnson um it's a an actual it's a museum. Mm-hmm. But at one point in what you know led to the history is it, it was a gorgeous house that was obviously it was part of the Sullivan Johnson family and the last member of the family um had passed away in the home and some believed that she was the ghost that haunted the building. But when I arrived there, it was kind of funny because the Um, some of the people that I was interviewing and I met there, um, they kind of cautioned me and said, okay, the person who's, the guy who's going to be coming and staying with you tonight for the sort of overnight, he doesn't believe, and he's going to be kind of like a, you know, not very nice to you. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever. (laughs) Um, And he showed up and he was kind of rude in the beginning, but then he started like seeing what I was doing Mm -hmm. and he was kind of like getting into it. And as I was walking around, it, I mean, it just looks like, you know, a museum inside of a house. So as I'm walking around, I'm just kind of looking at all these things, and I kind of made the comment that it was like, wow, you know, I kind of really wish that I knew what rooms were what, because right now I'm just looking and I just see museum. You know, right. I don't see bedrooms and things like that.
1: Now, let me jump in one second, James. Yeah. Let me ask you, why was this dude, he worked, did he, did I miss that somehow? Did he work at the museum and that, that he was tasked with joining you guys? Why was, why was he... Why was he there if he wasn't even interested in all this?
2: I think he was just tasked with he uh he did work there. Okay. I, I believe he was actually on the board. Um he drew the he, short straw. Yeah, exactly. And it's kinda of funny because he turned out to be one of the nicest guys ever and he, he kind of had his wife, I believe it was, or girlfriend, come down to like watch what we were setting up. Okay. I think it was he, he heard, you know, the <laughs> ghost hunter guy or whatever is coming down <laughs> yeah, to do this yeah. and he was like, Oh, for Christ's sake, you know, kind of thing. Right, right, okay. Uh, but, yeah, he warmed up, and, you know, when I made the comment, you know, sort of the offhand comment that it's kind of hard. You know, I can't really, um, you know, look. Yeah, I can't yeah, really yeah. tell what room is what. It just looks like a museum. Right. It's hard and that's to discern when he brought up. He said, well, you know, the the woman who used to be really good friends, her and her husband, they used to be really good friends with the, the woman who died in the house. You know, she still lives down the street. You know, You know, if you want, I could go down there and get her and see if – she could tell you what was what, so I was like, "Yeah, cool." So went down and got her, and you know, I talked to her, and she was like, "Yeah, you know, me and my my husband, we would hang out with her, and we would do all these kind of things." And come to find out that she was also, unfortunately, the one who found her friend dead. Oh God. Um. So she's walking me around, and she's saying, "Okay, this is, you know, this was her bedroom, and this is actually where I found her." And there was a little sitting room off of that, and we're walking through, and then it just popped into my head that. Wow, this is kind of unique. That I mean, this sounds weird to say, but I I had never come across anyone who had, um, I guess had that personal of a of a connection with the ghost. Generally, right, right, like exactly. A Revolutionary War soldier or something. Right, like.
1: exactly. That's what I. That's what ma- yeah, piqued my yeah. interest. Where it's like, well, this is unique.
2: Yeah. So I I just it popped in my head, and I said, you know, do you want to hang around? And and um you know, help with the investigation and she was like, sure, but she you know, she had no idea what we were gonna do and to be honest I didn't either. Mm-hmm. But um long story short, so we went up and we were sitting in um kind of on this little love seat in the sitting room that kind of you looked across it and there was like an open archway that went into another room, but that was where the bedroom was where they had found her. And we turn off all the lights and we're sitting there and um it go co- <laughs> I can't do this do this justice. I tried to in the book. It's actually funny because it gets, it's very emotional for when I tell the story, because we're sitting there, we turn off all the lights and um, you know, she says, well, what do I, what do I do? And I said, you know, I don't really know. I said, but you know, some people, I said, what I do is I just talk to them like they're here in the room. I just talk to them like they're friends and you haven't seen them in a while and you talk to them. And I said, you can do that too, especially since you have that connection. Well, <clears throat> she starts to talk. It's funny. Um, she starts to talk, and I find out right off the bat that her husband is also deceased. Oh, boy. And she starts talking to the ghost, and she's basically saying, I, I hope you're there because I miss you, and I'm all alone. My husband is gone, and I love you, and I just need to know that you're still there. Mm-hmm. For me, and she's pouring her heart out, and i've yet to show anybody the video from that because it's in infrared and i'm I'm crying like a four year old with a skin knee, <laughs> and I mean it looks really nasty in infrared i mean it looks like yeah. it's just bad, but it was just it was just breaking me up that she was literally pouring her heart out to, to this ghost, and then she even goes so far as to say, "I hope you're not mad at me, but i stole your Hawaii, your pen from Hawaii, and oh my she God. said, I hope you're not mad at me, but when you went to Hawaii, you told me that you were going to bring me back something, and you didn't, so I was the one that took your Hawaii pen, and I, I hope you're not mad at me, but I, I still use it. It's a really nice pen, and I think <laughs> of you every time I use it, and she's just yeah. pouring her heart out basically to nothing, and then at one point, she says, she says her name, and she says, You know, do you know who I am? And honest to God, something starts walking in the other room in like a semicircle, which we went back and listened to it. The only thing I could think is that if it is a ghost, it's walking around the bed. But it's Hmm. about eight or ten steps and it walks and it clearly sounds like it stops dead in the archway between the two buildings. I mean, between the two rooms. So it's now standing there, but there's nothing there and she, I'm not saying anything because I'm afraid I'm going to start crying yeah but but she actually says do you hear that there's someone in that room and the people downstairs who were actually listening through the recorders are like yeah there's there's someone walking around but there's there was nobody walking around um there was no one there at all and so she continued to talk for a few more minutes and then said basically you know I love you goodbye you know I'm going to leave and, and the footsteps walk back
0: Oh boy! Yeah,
2: and so again, I, you know, and I, I tried my best to, to tell that story in the book, but that had to be. It, it's it's still now. It's very emotional for me because, but when I I look at it from the, the researcher perspective, I'm like, did that close connection somehow, man? Did that did that call that ghost up? Or did it, you know, or was it her mind and that actually was able to recreate that to the point where it was able to make the floorboards creak? I mean, mm-hmm. we've got it all on video and audio and you hear and it's not just, you know, when we play them for people, they're like, you know, they I think they kind of think like on these ghost shows, they're going to hear like, ah, you know, we're like, hear that? That's eight footsteps. But no, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like. I mean, the floor is creaking underneath it. Yeah, and it's not just like one footstep, and then like four minutes later, there's another popping noise. It clearly, if you didn't know better, it would sound like just somebody walking across the floor. Right, right. Weird. Yeah. yeah, and and I mean, it's it's bizarre. And then oh, and then on top of that, the um, on the back staircase, which was on the other side of the building, maybe three or four minutes before the footsteps start that we have. And for the most part, we use studio microphones that are actually um, hardwired into a, uh, an eight channel mixing board. And then we, uh, we mount the microphones onto uh, mic stands completely like shock mounts. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, you know, to make sure that there's not, you know, nothing is getting sucked from space or anything like that. But a few minutes before all of those footsteps start the microphone at the bottom of those stairs makes this bizarre buzzing sound that lasts about maybe like seven seconds that and the the sound if you will moves because they're studio mics go from goes from left to right when we sent that out We sent it two places. One was actually to check on the microphone or see if there's a problem with the cable, is there a problem with this. And then we also sent it out to be the sound itself to be analyzed. They both came back that there was nothing wrong with the equipment, but that the sound was more than likely caused by, and I'm going to paraphrase as a direct quote in the book though, um, something with a high electrical charge moving from left to right, um, Hmm. passing in front of the microphone. Hmm. So basically they were saying something with a big electrical charge, Move in front of the microphone. Moving from left to right in front of that microphone would put it from the door to the staircase. And we found out later that the lady who suppo- who died in the house, the one who may or may not have been to those footsteps, um, she always parked in the back of the house. Yeah. And would go up the back steps. So <laughs> something something with a big electrical charge going up the, the steps there, getting ready to go walk around in the other room. I mean, I don't know, but it starts to get again. Two bottle conversation, right? But the stuff starts to almost fit. It's weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I, 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 I believe in all this. The ghosts, you know, it's what they are. I have no idea, though. You know what I mean? It's. I don't know if we'll ever be able to figure it out. You know, maybe one of those the human condition. But you can't ever really figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Until you get to the other side.
2: Yeah, I, I, I seriously doubt that we. I mean, it's. And again, going back to the idea that it's. It's almost pointless to try to convince skeptics. I mean, people, we need to, if we're not doing it to try to help other people, then we just need to be resigned to the fact that we just need to find evidence, if you will, for ourselves and leave it at that. But right. you know, my hope is before I die that, you know, I can find something a little closer, but you know.
1: Yeah, I've long since given up on trying to convince skeptics. So that's, yeah, that's it's a losing it's battle.
0: W- wasting, breath. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Um We've this wow this has flown by. Can you can you hang out just a little bit longer after sure. the live show? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Awesome. We got about 10 minutes left, but I figured uh we might we might uh run over a little bit. Now, what I like about the book too is what you mentioned here. You mentioned in the original correspondence and I actually kind of had slipped my mind until you told us about the uh about sort of the origins of the book. But it's really cool that Kent State University is involved with this. You know, it's we we've called for more sort of academic work on all these paranormal topics. So it's really cool that they could get behind us.
2: Yeah, I I was actually blown away by the fact that they they were looking to do one. I mean, when they first, you know, reached out to me, it was very much along the lines of they had, they were looking to do something like that, but they had no idea what they wanted to do. And, And, you know, thankfully for me, you know, I had a unique enough premise that was still going to, I think if, they had asked me, and I said something that was more along the lines of, say, um, my uh, my previous book before this, which was the big book of Ohio ghost stories, which was just sort of, I guess you could say retelling of mm. Ohio's most popular ghost stories and urban legends. Right, but a chronicle did, of the, of the right, stories, but yeah. yeah, but it didn't really get into the sort of um, history, if you will. It was just retelling, you know, so you had all these bizarre, you know. Bigfoot was in there at one point somebody claimed there was the ghost of a Bigfoot running around. And, you know, there was just there were stories that were popular, but it didn't really get into, like I said, the history or anything like Mm. that. So I think this idea where you've kind of got history and folklore kind of combining with the whole idea of an active ghost hunt. Yeah, um, I think that was what really kind of piqued their interest.
1: Now, I also found it interesting I, I presume, uh, yeah, I'm not seeing it in here, so yeah. Um, you, it's, it's interesting, you talked about how sort of like originally in the ghost hunting uh, genre, let's say, back in the day, before it was even ghost hunting, that, that some of the big time folks, they sort of just tapped into the mediums and used them as the conduit to all this. But it's interesting, uh, I, I I can see why you don't, and I wouldn't either, but it's interesting that uh, you don't rely on any sort of like supernatural uh, equipment, for lack of a better term, whether it's a medium or a Ouija board or anything like that.
2: Yeah, there, there was one instance um, for the book um, that we did have um, a woman who believed that she was psychic, and we did get results. We, I mean, I should preface it by saying I, um, we do have several people within the Ghosts of Ohio organization that believe that they're sort of sensitive, Mm-hmm. Um and I have worked with them long enough to know that I should trust their instincts when they are saying certain things, but they're not to the extent of sort of a full-blown psychic medium. Um, those I have used in the past, but they tend to not like me because I don't take what they're saying as face value. Right. If they're telling me there's a person sitting in the chair in front of me, they tend to get annoyed because the first thing I'm going to do is actually grab a piece of equipment or do something or try to measure that because, again, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just walk in room and go, yep, goes there, goes there, (laughs) goes there. Make my job easier, you know, I'd be done a lot quicker. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't have to look at all this other kind of stuff. Um, But that being said, for one of them, it was the – I always pronounce it wrong because I want it's it was the inn at Versailles. I'm sorry because I always want to say Versailles, yeah,
0: yeah, even
2: though it was named after Versailles, but they call it Versailles in Ohio. <laughs> but, um, so they had um, a a haunted room, and it was room 108. And they there were all of these claims, and uh, me, I mean, I interviewed all sorts of people, and they all made reference to the idea that. It was this thing that they would only describe as a portal, which they basically said that they would go to sleep in this room and various people, strangers who didn't know each other. I mean, it took forever to track these people down because they were just hotel guests. Um, it was never publicly listed as being a haunted room. Um, it's not even that nice of a room. I mean, they've got gorgeous, like, jacuzzi suites there and stuff. It's a very upscale place. But this is just kind of got a bed. I mean, it's nice, but it's not really like a place that everybody would want to stay in anyway. Mm. But they would all report, you know, waking up and seeing, you know, faces and figures and stuff all coming out of the same damn place in the wall. Weird. You know, and so to me, I'm like, what's going on there? And then to go back to the idea of what I said, the, uh, the, the Veneer Lab Pro, which has all those remote sensors,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, we actually took all those and put those in that one section of the wall. And the weirdest thing is that over the course of two evenings, this sounds like really bizarre, but basically the electrostatic energy that was in the room went went down. And and the thing that's odd about that is that's basically the kind of you know, static electricity, basically, the stuff, you know. If you walking on carpet and doing things like yeah. that, that naturally builds up in areas. It, that's what it does. I mean, if you just let those meters go, they're they're going to slowly, but they're always going to build. And they're, they'll go back down to normal, basically, if you, you get too much in there, you know, if you, you give yourself a shock or something like that. But those levels will always normally go up very slowly, but hmm. they always go up. The only place they don't is near that portal wall well, yeah. for reasons that... The manufacturers can't explain. Uh, Mark the scientist guy can't explain. At certain points during the evening, all of the – basically the static electricity in that room got sucked out. Weird. And no idea where it went through. But the reason for telling you all that we were talking about psychics is one of the psychics who had actually spent the night in that room, and I was interviewing them. I didn't know that they were psychic at the time. But she mentioned, you know, in the course of interviewing her, and I did believe her story because she wasn't talking more about psychic things. She was talking about actually seeing what everybody else was. Mm-hmm. But then when she mentioned that she was psychic and she, that she could feel things, I, I figured, you yeah, know, okay, what the hell? So asked her, you know, a couple of us went up to the room. I was going to be staying there for the night, so I had the key. And we went up into the room, and as she is walking around the room, and I had already set up all the equipment for the night. So I had the studio microphones going and those sort of things. Um, she claims that she starts to feel something and she's like, I don't know what it is. It's not very strong, but it's over here. And then, you know, I'm like, where is it now? And so on the recorder, she's saying it's over here. I think it's over here or something like that. And as she's talking, a, another voice comes in that sounds like it's saying, stop, stop, stop. Just like that. It's not like a breathy kind of thing, you know? Right. Like, and that came through a studio microphone. Um, the weird thing is whenever we use the recording devices, we always triangulate them. So we've always got three different audio mm-hmm. things there so we can tell where it's coming from. The voice was coming from in front of the microphone where if you look on the camera, there's no one there. The other interesting thing that we do is anyone that's going to be on an investigation, um, we create basically audio imprints of them. We stand them in front of the studio microphone and have them whisper. Ah, nice, yeah. And and basically, we do it against the microphone, whispered and spoken, six foot back, 12 foot back, and we create video um, audio imprints. Well, when we went back, that voice... Didn't match anybody else's that was in the room at the time, and Jeez. it fell within the range of a human voice. That's so, spooky. I don't, you know, I don't know what it is. We we were seriously thinking about for this book, but Kent State couldn't make the price point go low enough. We wanted to include a CD.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, that would be cool. You know, but. well maybe you can do something, uh, something like connected somehow with a with a website or something down the line. That would be neat.
2: Yeah, and and we do also, as we go around, um, mm-hmm. you know, t- as I said, I'm going all around the state like this month and basically talking about the book. And We have a presentation, so we show a lot of the videos and play the audio clips. And, again, w- I present it much the way I did, you know, for you here. I just like what happened <laughs> and right. then basically say, I don't know what it is.
1: <laughs> nice. All right, we're going to lose the live audience in five seconds, so they're not even going to hear me say thank you because the show is going <laughs> off the air now. But we're still recording. We're still going, so uh, sit tight there, James. I want to thank James for coming on the show, James A. Willis, Ohio's Historic Haunts. Thanks to all the folks in the live uh, chat room and tuning in live. You're already gone, so you <laughs> if you're hearing this, you're, you're hearing the thanks uh, after the show. But uh the website for James is ghostsofohio.org and is that is that I thought there was a second one but I don't have it in front of me. It's Strange
2: o- and Spooky World.
1: Strange and Spooky World. There you go. So ghostsofohio.org and strangeandspookyworld.com. Yes. Okay, there you go. strangeandspookyworld.com. I really enjoyed the conversation James. This has been really enlightening. Uh thank you. I, I like I said, I uh, kind of got bit by the ghost hunting bug this summer. So to to really get into it more with somebody who's done a lot of these is is uh, a lot of fun for me.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, it's I I'm glad you got bitten by it, and hopefully it stays with you. Because I I also I've unfortunately started to meet far too many people in the last few years that have kind of been like turned on to it by you know by these shows, and then based on what they're seeing on there, they think that they're going to kind of run into you know, like a Halloween haunted house when they go out there and then they, (laughs) you know, they've got an actual passion for it. But yet when they get in there and they're like, well, hell, I've been here for two hours and nothing's happening, you know, and they kind of give it up. So,
0: Mm.
2: you know, it's a shame.
1: I could see how that would, I could see how that would happen. But at the same time, it's like, like I said, uh, I had one of those, a K2 meter Mm -hmm. and it it sort of, it went up to like three bars. And at that point I, I was like that's when it kind of really hooked me in a way where I was like, this is amazing. I, I think I really, you know, I may have really encountered a ghost just now. Who knows? So it's yeah. uh, it's cool. The toughest part, though, is, uh, you know, for someone like me, and I can imagine this happens to a lot of people, uh, I'm different in a sense because I went on a ghost hunt as part of like this paranormal conference, so it's uh, I'm not really inspired by the, t- the TV shows. If anything, I'm the opposite of inspired. I, uh-huh. I, I, right. It took me just long to go on a ghost hunt because of the TV shows. Yep. Um, but having come back and been sort of bitten by the bug and thought to myself, it would be cool to go on another ghost hunt, it's hard to know who to look for. It's hard to sort of discern who there's a million groups, yep. you know. They all hate each other. So, so it's it's true. Like,
2: it is true. It's true.
1: You know, if you go to if you go to ghost hunters of Massachusetts, you know, Essex County, it's like they hate the people down in Suffolk County. So don't right. even you know, don't even go there. And it's usually because like someone slept with someone else's girlfriend or something like that. <laughs> but it's very difficult to figure out who who's good and who's just uh just kooky. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, you're right because we I mean, like I said, we have a we have a rather large and rabid fan base, but there is a lot of we will as I said, we will go into to these other, you know, all across not only Ohio but the Midwest and go to these quote-unquote, you know, haunted most haunted locations and we will basically approach them and just be like, "Alright, hey, we just want to kind of rent it out for the night and go." And we run into I don't know how many times where these locations will have the the unofficial ghost group of the building, you know, and, and they're like, no, you, you can't come in here. And it's like, wait a second, we're waving money at you. Right. You know, and it's kind of just like they're all sort of...
0: Oh, it's very know, territorial. It, it's a
2: very gross field to be in in many <laughs> respects because, it, it, I don't know, it, it, there's just a lot of infighting <clears throat> and it just it's just nasty.
1: Yeah, like you said, yeah, territorial so it seems to be a big problem too. Like you said, it's like some people have their... It's their territory they're the, they're they're the they're the ghost hunting group of uh whatever this this building is or something like that
2: so that- yeah and i mean they you know i i don't know how many different you know ohio paranormal conventions they have but i've i'm never asked, and it's I, I a lot of it i think has to do with the fact that i'm not i'm not saying that these other groups are not good or anything, but it's just i mean i'm i'm gonna call b s on a lot of these things because i think I think if you want to be taken seriously in this field, you have to acknowledge there's a lot of stuff that is not true out there, mm. and that, that goes for everything from the equipment to the television shows. And, and again, it's not saying ghosts don't exist. It's just that we have to acknowledge it's not all real.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's why I'm I'm really glad that we got you on the show, because you're in alignment with the way we think you're on the show, you know, yeah. on the All of America, because there's no... At the end of the day, like you were saying about ghosts, and I was agreeing with you, and it applies to all this stuff. You know what I mean? We just don't know what this stuff is. So, to, right. to, to, you know, I hear people that are like talking about aliens and shit. and It's like we don't know. We don't even know if aliens exist. So You can't tell me there's good and bad aliens.
2: Right. Yeah, because how do you know that? Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's maddening. So it's not just, you know, it's not just the ghost field. It's like all these fields. It's like if you're not preaching to the choir you're 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 preaching to an empty room it seems it's unfortunate yeah yep now when people i presume i guess how does your group work in the sense now i know how it worked for ohio's historic haunts but how does it work in the sense like do you guys decide you want to go someplace or more interesting maybe to me this is kind of what i'm hoping do people come to you and say can you come investigate our place and who are these people that are coming to you because I presume it happens
2: yeah, it, it's actually both. I mean, what we do is we try to – um we fully understand that there is the desire, you know, both within the group as well as through our, you know, quote-unquote fan base, mm. to ghost hunt, you know, to just go to a spooky building and, and see what will happen. Right, right. But And those will be the places where we say, oh, do you want to go to Mansfield or, you know, Trans-Allegheny? Where do you want to go? Yes. Um those are the one things but the the vast majority of work that we do which is interesting because it doesn't show up very much on our website except for information about it is we we do private investigations of people's homes or their businesses right. and all of that they so to your question yeah they they will contact us they can come through the website um we even have such things as that you know because I I wouldn't know, hey, do I need an investigation or what do I need? So we will have consultations as well, you know, and then so people can just talk to us. All of that is free of charge. There's never a charge for any of the services that we offer, including the investigations. And all of the members of the Ghosts of Ohio, including myself, operate under a code of, you know, bylaws that we've all had to sign, hmm. um, basically saying that we will not make any public information our private information about these cases or the property or the people involved public. Yeah. So it never appears on our websites. We you know, we won't even for the most part like on Facebook if we say anything it'll be like residential investigation in southern Ohio tonight, but we don't
0: hmm.
2: post anything because you know, it's it's right the privacy. So, yeah, but they, they, yeah. Just, they just contact us through there. And, and unfortunately, a lot of them, we get a lot of referrals from people and in some cases other groups who basically are more inclined. They're more of the ghost hunting type, mm. you know, and for whatever reason, they ended up with this case where there really was something going on that they don't know how to deal with it.
1: That's the, that's what I'm interested in too. Is it like, no, obviously we, we don't want to get into like anything, uh, you know, uh, uh, private or whatever like that. So, but, but what, like, are they, these people that contact you because they think their house is haunted? Is it like they're, are they frightened or are they just intrigued or, or I'm sure it runs the, runs the gamut, but it sort does. of what's the, what's the general vibe of like, of, of somebody contacting a ghost hunting group to check out their house?
2: Well, it's interesting because way back in the day, it used to be the, their reason for contacting was because they they just wanted to know that they weren't crazy.
0: Okay. <laughs> um,
2: when the ghost, it's a perfectly shows, reasonable, yeah. uh, motivation. <laughs> you know, and, and at that point, you could come out and you could say uh, it's actually just bad wiring or mm. something like that. You right. Know? But as long as you were giving them an explanation, you know, even if it was a non-ghostly one, they were cool with that. When the ghost shows came out for a few years there. They were contacting you for validation. So it had, they wanted there to be a ghost there. Mm. Now, um, it's actually become a kind of combo thing where because you've now got all of these sort of extreme ghost shows and exorcisms and all those kind of things, right. the people are contacting us to know that one, it, it's not going to hurt them. Or, or you know, too. Is this going to hurt them? So they just they're concerned about that, but then they are also just sort of wanting to find a an explanation for what's out there.
0: Mm.
1: That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting how it's sort of changed over the years, where it's like people want there to be a ghost. It's just I I, I it, it makes perfect sense, but it's mm-hmm. like maddening in a way, where it's like ah oh, geez, this what 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 as someone who was in this. In the 80s. I mean, I obviously I've sensed a great sort of um, dismay with the popularity of the ghost hunting shows. But I mean, what was your reaction when it all it all like sort of took off? You know, it's almost like a comic book fan nowadays. You know what I mean? It's like all Mm -hmm. of a sudden what you were really into is now the cool thing to do, and it's like – it has its pluses and minuses. A, people aren't going to laugh at you, but B, it's like everyone's doing – it, it brings a whole lot of baggage, you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. from your perspective, as someone who was in it for – since the 80s and everything, were you just sort of like wide-eyed like, oh my god, what is happening right now? Everyone's ghost hunting all of a sudden.
2: Yeah, I, I thought that it was – And the funny thing is that when they first – um the first show that I remember, and, and they had actually contacted me, it was um, MTV's Fear. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't even called Fear then. It was going to be part of their like sort of road rules things where they were just going to make people run around in, in a haunted prison. Mm. And I got the contract of what they wanted me to do, and then I backed out of it. <laughs> and so when I saw that, I still was like, okay, well, this is kind of weird. What do they want you to do? Well, um,
1: without, yeah, be be,
2: Yeah, (laughs) I I think since I didn't sign anything, I'd be like, okay, but the the premise of MTV's fear was that they were alone, you know, on in this case, it was going to be Moundsville Mm. um, prison, that they were alone. There was no camera crew. It was basically them. You know, so there was no one there. You know, there was nobody faking anything. Well, there was. You know, and, and the funny yes. thing is that what I tell people without giving too much away is because they, if you ever watched it, you know, they always said, yeah, there's nobody there. But if you didn't complete your dare, you you had to leave, you know, that moment. Yeah. Well, if, and they would, they would leave. Well, if they were really alone, where did they go? There were, there were, there were crew members all over the place. I mean, basically. Right, but, right. right. Um, but I remember when... Um, Sort of because TAPS and um, Most Haunted, which was a show out of England, mm-hmm. that they came right around the same time. And I remember um, thinking that the, the TAPS was interesting because the very very early episodes were exactly what I was doing. They weren't finding anything. They were, you know, they were they were investigating people's homes. So I was I liked that because I'm like, wow, this is sort of opening things up to a wider audience. Now, Most Haunted were, you know, they had people getting possessed and throwing things and that kind of stuff. And I laughed. I loved that show. I would laugh and laugh because, I, you know, this is entertaining. Nobody's going to believe that this crap is real. <laughs> and then when I noticed, no, wait, they do believe it's real. Um, that's when I started to get a little nervous. And now um, I can't we actually have a girl um, Kathy in our group who she watches the shows and reports back mainly because we want to see what equipment they're trying to use or what they, you know, the new theories or something are. I can't watch them because they just annoy me.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way with these paranormal shows. Like I don't watch like any of these cuz they're usually really bad and uh or they're retelling the same stories. I mean, I'm sure you've kind of gone through this. We see the – you know. The same same locations seem to go over and over again. It's yeah. It's there needs to be a whole shake up in all this stuff, but it seems there's yeah, a lot of inertia. I, I,
2: I would have thought, you know, I each time each Halloween season I'm like, <clears throat> that's it. They can't push it any further. You know, it's gotta the bubble's gotta burst, but it keeps going. I mean they're they're gonna be doing a live exorcism. I was just gonna season. say, yeah, they're yeah. doing a
1: live exorcism uh <laughs> on Halloween.
2: But yeah, because, you know, that makes total sense, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's – it's. I don't even – I don't even know what to say about that, but I bet you people will tune in. That's the, that's the scary and sad part of it all.
2: Yep, you're exactly right.
1: Just as long as – you know, you didn't we, – we talked about the psychic part, but it's just like just as long as people don't – I do worry about people like messing around with like Ouija boards and stuff like that. I've never even used one, but uh, to me it's like – just seems like a recipe for bad, bad stuff to happen or for you to – or for people to sort of like doubt st- – Develop beliefs that not necessarily aren't accurate. You know what I'm saying?
2: Right. Yeah. I, I think I think the danger comes from both sides. Is I think there's danger in um, taking things too seriously, but I also think there's danger in not taking certain things too serious. Mm. You know, and I, and I think in many regards, some of these shows are just so over the top and silly that I don't think that they're taking things seriously enough. And and I I often wonder if something bad could come out of things like that.
0: Right,
1: right. And there have been stories, not really related to sort of like a supernatural uh, badness, but there there have been stories of people getting hurt on these ghost hunts. It's amazing, you know. I think people have died on some of these ghost hunts. You know, these weekend warrior type ghost hunts. It's pretty it's pretty crazy.
2: Yeah, I mean it's I
1: mean it's, you're going into these old buildings and people need to remember
0: that.
2: Yeah, and then on top of that, you've got there's there's a whole other subculture that that where they're actually breaking into these abandoned buildings and i know that there are people there was one recently a girl fell down like an elevator shaft in an abandoned building and and you know they they were they were there ghost hunting you know and then, then the sad thing is you look at the report and you know you'll check in and you'll be like it was just an old building there were absolutely no reports other than you know a bunch of you know, like young kids are like, hey, that looks haunted. Mm. You know, it's abandoned. Let's break in. And you're exactly right. I mean, there's the whole thing too. I mean, there's people laugh at the one picture that I put up on my Facebook or something. But it's me, you know, wearing like basically like masks and respirators and those sort of things. But I mean, people don't take into consideration a lot of these old buildings that they're, you know, you've got wet asbestos floating around and down, you know, down in there. Right. Of the there's that, that, of that whole other yeah. danger in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's true, it's like people see a building and they're just like, Well that's really old, so there
2: must be ghosts there. It's yeah, like, look yeah. at it, the windows are knocked out. It's gotta be haunted, it looks spooky.
1: <laughs> and it's like back in the day that was okay, but now it seems like it's just dangerous. I don't know.
2: It, it it is, and I and I think because you've got again back to what you said earlier, you know, back in the day you you didn't have to worry about Things like that, because not everybody was doing it, mm. you know. But now I'm sure that if you were to go to one of these abandoned buildings that's supposedly haunted, and you're trying to, like, you know, even just like take pictures or do something at the side, you're probably going to get stopped by the police, and they probably already arrested thirty or forty people over the course of a year right. that you know were claiming that they were out there because they were ghost hunters. So you know, they're getting a little tired of it as well.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, it's a do you see? I, I asked. Uh, I asked Chip Coffee about this, but he's more of a psychic. I was sort of talking about how it seems like there's not as many psychic medium shows out there. But then he pointed out like a million of them because I don't keep track. But uh, you say you have the person in your group that keeps track. But the, I guess the the gist of the question is like, it clearly it clearly it exploded this ghost hunting entertainment. Let's say exploded. Yeah. You, is it is it sort of. Uh, is it is is the, is the curve coming down now or is it still sort of is it plateaued or do you think you know is it, what's your general sort of feel on the interest of of this as a as a, as a genre if you
2: will? I think right now it's just sort of teetering on the edge right now because I don't know where they go from where they are now because mm. where it started to increase was you know because you had ghost hunters and it was interesting because it was new
1: and people hadn't heard about like evps and stuff yet yeah
2: exactly but then after a while it was kind of boring because they weren't really doing anything and then you had ghost hunters i mean ghost adventures which filled that void because they were so over the top you know and they had and the ghosts that they were going after were a bit more you know badass and you know and dangerous and those sort of things and now you've got where they're sort of you know because now you've got there was some show that I saw that I was just flipping through the channels that I didn't even bother to stop at, but it was like When Ghosts Attack. Oh, God. You know, and, and it's it's things like that. And I think where they're trying to push, you know, they kept trying to push things is that more of increasing that sort of sense of danger because it was new. You know, the idea that they're you're literally doing battle with something. And I think now with the idea that they're going to be doing these sort of live exorcisms, I don't know where you push it after that. Mm.
1: Yeah, I noticed too, yeah, I don't, I think, I don't know the dude specifically, so I, I don't want to call anybody out, but to, yeah, isn't that kind of like a new thing where it's like you challenge the ghost or something, it's like, what? Do you, why would you do that? But it seems, it speaks to me uh, of like a cabin fever sort of situation, where it's like you've run out of ideas, so you have to, you have to, like you said, push the envelope of what what you're going to do next, right? to the point where it's like, you how, Like you said, it's teetering, because how far can you push the envelope? Exactly. How much further can you really go?
2: Because I, do, I don't know what comes after, because all along it seemed that they were pushing that sort of danger level further out. But now it's to the point where I don't know what comes after fighting demons. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, where, yeah. where does it go after that? I mean, I do know that there was um, a very short-lived one, which I think was even called, like, Extreme... Oh, God. Ghost hunting or something like so that. So, 90s. Yeah, but it, it was just something where they were trying to, I don't know, they were trying to like fight the, it was just something that was just so asinine. I couldn't even, you know, it, it, that was very short lived. And I know that Ghost Adventures at one point tried to bring in like amateur ghost groups to like, you know, battle in the, to get the best evidence or something like that. And that didn't last. So, I, I think, I don't know where you go after exercising demons Live, which i ironically enough chip coffee is involved in i know
1: that. that's how i knew about it yeah and
2: i'm i'm not really sure how or why but
1: yeah well he his psychic mediumness is needed to
2: uh <laughs> is that is, is that a word is psychic mediumness I
1: oh, lost you there for a minute yeah his psychic his psychic mediumness is needed to uh to make the whole thing go i don't know yeah it's interesting and I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll probably nah. I'll probably read about it. <laughs> I don't think I'll end up watching it. It's it's a little too far out even for me. And and you know something? It sounds to me, and I, I, I'm I'm a bastard. Why am I doing this? I, why am I? <laughs> but it sounds to me, it's it sounds to me like one of those Al Capone's vault situations. You know, I don't want to waste two hours waiting for the exorcism. And it's going to be like a quarter of quarter of the hour at the end you know what
2: well, i mean well you're right and it's also because it's on that uh what's the channel but it's the same channel that do that did um oh, De- it has De- a lot
1: of weird shows De- yeah, destination and, america the ones yeah
2: had the uh um the mermaid one do you remember that oh yeah there was yeah. It, it was like that they claimed that they had like found a real mermaid and then there was one where oh what the that the dude was going to claim he was going to let a giant snake eat him or something. It was just, Oh, I
1: remember that one too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's that's all on destination America. Oh boy. And TNA wrestling. So yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, anything that's on there, it's already kind of established itself as being this, I don't even want to say it's tongue in cheek stuff because they present it as, you know, it's got those, who are those hillbilly guys that go looking for the, Bigfoot. I was
1: gonna say they have like hillbilly Bigfoot hunter or something
2: like that. Yeah, it's something like that. That I mean, I I watched one because it was I forget what happened, but they you were, almost
1: have to watch one episode because you don't believe they actually have a show like that. You know, it's like right, kinda, but
2: it was it was to watch it, and the one that I watched, and I'm not making this up, but he, I don't remember the whole thing, but Bigfoot actually hypnotized people. Oh Jesus. Yeah, and. and you're watching it and you're like it's being presented as if it's true but there's there's no way and and then at one point um they I don't know why they were doing this but they were chasing a a chupacabra oh, because God. they were looking but but somehow they claim that they caught it but then bigfoot was in cahoots with the chupacabra and <laughs> and and like they had built a trap to get the uh to catch the chupacabra and and it worked but then bigfoot came and broke the trap
0: Oh, God. and and
2: you're like what how what's happening here, yeah, and then I find it like slightly ironic that you know it's called Destin- destination America, so it's all about America, are we that like gullible or something that we we believe this
1: that's just crazy, that's crazy, yeah, I went from hating that show to liking it and hating it now in one in one
2: well I keep watching I'm not sure I if I like
1: it or hate it, it. I can't tell
2: <laughs> I, I, I keep watching because i i can't I can't figure out they have to be actors.
1: And I if they are. They, they're.
2: They're brilliant actors because I have yet to see any of them break character.
1: Yeah, it's probably like that honey boo boo stuff, you know, where it's yeah. like people. Some people are just natural characters where you're like, what, you know? And yeah, they Put find a camera in they, front of them, they'll do any of it. Yeah. And they put them exactly. They're thrilled that someone wants to put them on TV. So it's yep. like, oh my god. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty crazy stuff. Now you said this book was like almost a three year uh, odyssey to document these locations. Um what's next for you? I know I know the book was a long journey, so clearly you want to <laughs> chill out a little bit and talk about the book and talk about you know what's in it and what you did and all that good stuff. Have you thought about you know where you might go next with uh with your work and and maybe another book or or anything like that?
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. It it was a it was a long birthing process for this book, so I'm kind of just going to sit back and probably, you know, just kind of tour with this book for a couple of months and see how that goes there. There is already talk of them wanting, of Kent State wanting to do a follow-up to this.
0: Nice.
2: We'll see. So that could certainly be something that's in the works. Um, nice. There's also talk of doing sort of a a couple of books that go back, almost like a, a few books, like a series, if you will, that goes um, more into um, the folklore or ghost lore, if you will, of Ohio, um, focusing more on that. And then, there's. It's been a while since I've actually done one of the weird books that I've done, like Weird Ohio and yeah. so that. So there's. I've got my weird fan base that's kind of aching for another one of those weird books. So mm. there might be one of those in the the works too.
1: I. You know what I wanted to do a show on for a long time is that Zanesville story with the guy with the with the animals.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm very familiar with that because I'm also convinced they didn't they didn't get all of them. Oh, I'm sure. I think in just a couple of years, they'll probably be, you know. Yeah, yeah. Ohio's got a lot of weird animal sightings that are usually running around out in here. And and I think I I never knew about such a thing, but Ohio has got such relaxed, um, exotic animal laws, even after that. Mm. But they've had for years and years where, I mean, it's not as uncommon as people would think it is to find people in Ohio prior to that that had, like, lions and sort of these
0: exotic
2: animals that I could very easily see that a lot of the sightings over the years that people encountered around here were actually, you know, they'd be like, well, I saw a giant panther. Right. They probably did. Exactly,
1: yeah, yeah, because if this dude who had all the, who had his own little menagerie, you know, he wasn't the only guy. He had to clearly get that stuff from from other people. There's a whole underground trade involved with all that and like i said i've i have some dude wrote a book on it but i can't find i can't get in touch with him i can't figure out how to find him but i've wanted to dig into that zanesville story for for oh, since i heard it it was a really weird story yeah it was really weird um all right james i'm gonna say goodnight to the audience if you don't mind don't hang up uh right now and i'm just just gonna talk for like maybe 90 seconds and then i just want to talk to you off the air and okay. we'll uh we'll say goodnight cool okay awesome Well, folks, that was James A. Willis. I can't thank him enough for coming on the show. The book is Ohio's Historic Haunts, and uh, this is definitely BOA-worthy, my friends. Uh, You never know who you're going to get on the show. You never know who's out there writing books, but James A. Willis did a commendable job researching this stuff and and taking a look at it from what we beg everyone to do here on this show with a clear, open mind – you know, optimistically skeptical. That's that's really the best way to put it, and I'm glad he uh, said it that way because that's, that's that's really the best attitude I think you can have for all this stuff. So I cannot put over his stuff enough, and I'll be keeping a close eye on his work, and I'm sure uh, the Ohio Ghost folks are doing a fantastic job as well. Let me see if I have the website here on the book, ghostofohio.org. Yep. Go out and pick it up, and if you're not from Ohio, just pick it up anyway, folks, because you'll learn a lot about ghost hunting, and you'll learn a lot about, you know, how this all sort of connects to history, and uh, you'll get some insight into people who experience these things on, on a daily basis, or or have experienced it in their everyday life. Let's say not daily basis, but in their everyday life. You know, at work, they'll they'll have these experiences. So, like I said, tremendous stuff, James. Well done, sir. Uh, For the folks who are listening to the program right now on Blog Talk and you're wondering just what in the hell you've been listening to uh, the last two and a half hours, this is Banal of America Audio. Uh, We've been around for a very, very, very long time, and uh, chances are you want to check us out at banalofamerica.com because we've got tons of episodes there. We don't just post in the blog talk. If it's a taped episode, we don't get it up on blog talk. So if for some reason, you're subscribing via blog talk, stop immediately and go over to Banal of America and get the podcast feed there, lest you miss out on some amazing shows. Uh, like the, uh, now infamous Bigfoot Portal show from last week, which I cannot even begin to tell you folks. The feedback on that one has been just across the board. To, there are people who genuinely hate me for doing that show, so I don't even know what to say. And it wasn't even a Bigfoot portal, for God's sakes. So I just keep calling that because it's the laziest way I can describe it. But you can uh, check that episode out at all of America and lots and lots more. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, you're probably all caught up with what we've unleashed on you over the last three weeks. Uh, uh, last The uh, last three shows, excuse me, over the course of the last week. Of course, Adam Davies and John Carlson had the uh, the interdimensional portal, that's probably the best way to put it, Uh tale exclusively told on Banal of America, which created a, a follow-up firestorm to that whole story. And then we did a uh, simulcast with Greg Bishop on Sunday, which has yet to be posted, but it will get up on the uh, Banal of America feed, and like I said, if you're listening to this right now, you're probably all caught up, so I'm uh, circling back, but if you... Are uh, listening to this and you haven't heard the simulcast? Check it out because we uh, made a big announcement on that that folks should really uh, enjoy and be excited about. I think so. That covers pretty much the Binall of America uh, plug. B I N N A L L of America dot com. That's where you can find out more from us. We're also on Facebook. Just punch in Binall of America dot com. That'll bring up the page. Lots of great discussion going on there about all the different episodes we've done over the last few days. And, of course, our deep archive and news stories that relate to uh, various episodes from the past. And uh, what you just listened to was a two-and-a-half-hour live conversation here with James A. Willis, author of Ohio's Historic Haunts. And it's coming at you absolutely free. How do we do that? That's simple. We just provide it for you. And the uh, the great listeners of Benall All of America chip in from time to time and help us keep the entire operation uh, in the black. So if you could help us stay in the black and help us uh, pay the bills, that would be greatly appreciated. There's two ways to do so. You can go on over to banalofamerica.com and click the PayPal button. That will bring you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust Internet commerce and you want to just make an old-school donation, there's also a P.O. Box address at of America, to fire off a donation or, uh, as I say uh, on the website there, love letters, hate mail, all that stuff. Fire it away to the P.O. Box if you don't want to send it uh, via the Internet. And uh, as we say all the time here, folks, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Benal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, commercial-free and freely available for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Uh, as I said, we just unleashed three episodes for you over the course of a week, so it's very difficult right now for me to plug an upcoming episode. Uh, I This has been a chaotic, chaotic six weeks here for me. I'm surprised we did three shows in one week, but I knew that there was a chance I may not be able to do another show for another couple of weeks, so I wanted to stockpile them as best I can, and what a trio of shows. Great shows across the board. Uh, just really thrilled about that, so... I can't tell you when the next edition of In All of America will be, probably uh, sometime in the next 10 days, and chances are, knowing this show, it'll be some completely off-the-wall topic that we haven't even covered in the last six weeks. So we're going to just bounce around the uh, world of the paranormal looking for various interesting stories, and uh, given that it is October, uh, maybe we'll try and uh, dig more into the creepy factor and then scare some people a little bit, maybe serial killers or something creepy like that, who knows, but... We'll be doing something, so uh, (laughs) go on over to Banal of America on Facebook and com to find out uh, what's next from BOA. And once again, thanks to James A. Willis for coming on the show. The book, Ohio's Historic Haunts. Thanks to all the folks who tuned in to the live show. Thanks to the folks in the chat room. Thank you to the hardcore BOA audio listeners. Thank you to the newcomers. Thank you all for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim all thanking you for listening and signing
2: off.